Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, I'm joined by Chad Olson, uh, Legends team extraordinaire member from uh, Phil Singer Games, as well as one of the co-hosts of the Uncharted Territory podcast, which is a brand new podcast that you can, uh, of course, listen to wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Um, I've got him here with me right now uh, to kind of tape this quick intro because we recorded uh, about a week ago with the entire Legends team, had some technical difficulties, uh, as, as you know, you want to have these days when you, you don't know what the internet's going to do for you or not. But um, that said, the bulk of everything came through just fine. We just kind of got uh, disconnected towards the very end of our conversation. Um, but, uh, but Chad, thank you so much for, for not only, you know, for joining me last week, the rest of the team, but obviously for joining me tonight to record this, this quick little intro and outro, uh, to pick up the pieces as it is, uh, on the, on the conversation we had. Yeah, Sam, you know, there's, um, if anyone knows about podcasting difficulties, it's the Uncharted Territory staff. We actually recorded our second podcast, which has now become our third podcast because we decided we were so sick of rehashing it and re-recording it that we had to walk away from it for a week. So our second podcast, our second episode, which is about the Trago Stez Hall of Fame set creation, was actually supposed to be our third. So this week we're going to taper. Our, our third episode, and it's going to be about the 2087 roster and just a, a recap of that. So hopefully that'll work because, like I said, we're really tired of talking <laughs> about that. But, but it's a pleasure to be here with you because we love talking to you. And we had a great, what, 45 minutes before we even started uh, <laughs> right. talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I think that having the opportunity to, you know, actually, well, not really meet because we've yet to actually meet in person, but, uh, right. but, but to talk over, you know, the video calls and, uh, and that sort of thing, you know, in, in the past six months or so has just been really great. And, and you, you know, you guys, uh, have, have been very supportive, uh, of the podcast and, um, the stuff that, you know, Todd and Mike have you have been so generous kind of having me, you know, into the fold to do the hosting stuff for, for the, uh, the online uh, virtual con and, and, and also doing the podcast. And, and like I said, you guys have been very supportive of, of all of that, which is which has been great because, you know, this this community, like the Phil Singer Games community, is is so wonderful, and and everyone, you know, sure, not everybody gets along all the time. Who does? But for the most part, it's just a really positive, wonderful uh, group of people, and 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 I know that one of the things we were just talking about before we started, you know, recording this proper is the fact that sometimes in the past, you know, eight, nine months or so, there's not been a whole lot to look forward to. And uh, that is certainly not the case when it comes to, you know, this game and this community. So again, I, I'm, I'm just grateful for the reception that I've had. And, and, you know, to the point that sometimes it just feels like I've known you guys for years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and part of that, I think, is an extension of talking to people on the message boards, you know, following conversations and, and, you know, threads that, that, you know, and kind of being a part of that. Um, but, you know, even more so just, uh, uh, again, just the, the warmth and acceptance that, that you guys have shown me whenever we've had these conversations. So I'm grateful for that. Oh, well, you're very welcome. You've done an excellent job of hosting those activities. And, you know, again, hats off to Todd and Mike for putting together 
Galacticon this year because that was just so much fun. I, you know, at that point, my my job is based in front of a computer all the time, and all I do is <laughs> Zoom meetings. But that was the furthest thing from Zoom exhaustion. You know, um, that, those two days were a great way to spend the weekend. The weekend and the holiday um, kickoff event was a lot of fun. I, I yeah. missed tournaments, unfortunately. I was doing something else wrestling related. But um, it's just been a, a great time. So I think we're definitely making uh, lemonade out of lemons right now. And um, as we mentioned before, things like our enthusiasm for wrestling and, and wrestling gaming and books and research are the kind of things to help get us through these tough times. Because uh, it's, you know, and, and daylight savings time, I don't know. I don't know about for you, but it's been a killer. <laughs> you know, it usually yeah. takes me a week to get snapped out of it, and I am just dragging <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, one of the things I think I mentioned uh, when we spoke last week with the whole group is that for me, having a two-year-old has changed it immensely. Prior mm-hmm. to this, I yeah, I'm like you. You know, oh yeah, who cares? You know, daylight savings time, psh, no big deal. But this time around, it definitely made an impact on, on all of us. I, actually, my daughter, I think, handled it better than my wife and I did. <laughs> uh, but kids are resilient, you know. They are. They are. Uh, yeah. I, one of the things that we do talk uh, quite a bit about in, in the, the conversation that the listeners are about to hear um, is while we do spend a lot of time on the game, obviously, uh, we also talk a lot about just wrestling history in general. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you mentioned books. And one of the things I'm very excited about is I was able to, you know, finally take your advice and uh, pick up The Strap, A Complete History of Sam Muchnick's Mystery. Mystery. Sheesh. It's been a long time. <laughs> I hear you. Missouri <laughs> State Championship by Roger Dean. Um, and I, I just started it, so I'm not very far into it at all. But uh, even... Even so, I can tell that I'm, I'm going to love it, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. And um, it, it's a book that you had even suggested at Galacticon to the, to the panel, because I think I asked about books then. But I wanted to kind of ask all of you. Know, all of you. Um, and, 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 and I think that it's just so cool that we live in a time where we have so many uh, intricate volumes uh, of, of wrestling history available to us, um, which is... A t- something that you couldn't, you couldn't say 20 years ago. No, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I'm looking at a bookshelf and I, my bookshelf is five tiers. The top two are DVDs and then the bottom three are wrestling books. (laughs) Then on top of the wrestling books turned sideways are more books. So I, I, you know, I don't gamble. I don't smoke. I definitely have a wrestling book addiction though. (laughs) And I need to concentrate now on reading some more of these, Uh, you know, most of them I've read, but sometimes I'll pick up, especially like when I go to CAC, um, I'll come back with five or six books because, you know, that's, that's the thing now, I think, for some wrestlers to make money. But at the same time, I always tell them I appreciate them for taking the time to write down their story, because I think the way anyone gets into professional wrestling, especially back then, you know, I work with an indie group now and we run a show and we have, Hey, want to become a pro wrestler? Come check out our school. You know, we have advertisements. Well, that didn't exist when Ric Flair was getting into wrestling and Rick Steamboat, you know, um, right. 
So hearing how they got into the business, I think is fascinating. And, uh, you know, Bob Holly's books really speaks to that. I'm just looking at all the different books I have. What ones are, are standouts? Um, you know, all, all these guys, they just have a story to share. I think I had mentioned to you before how huge Jimmy Valiant's book is. I mean, it's, mm. it's the biggest wrestling book I have. It's probably 500 and some pages. And it's just fascinating because you talk about a guy who went everywhere. You know, he, he started in the Midwest, went to New York, Memphis, Mid-Atlantic, you know, going through the WWA after he'd kind of made it and, and came back to his home area. Um, I, I just think it's fascinating. And anybody who takes the effort to put pen to paper or, or fingers to keyboard, I guess we should say now, um, <laughs> I, I appreciate their time. Because I think if you're interested in the, in wrestling at all, you really need to learn a lot of the history and, and just where it came from, you know, pre-WWF National Expansion. And I'm not saying that to disparage, um, you know, the National Expansion or right. the WWF. You know, I, I, I do have a hard time calling it WWE because, you know, <laughs> that I grew up in, you know, and like we've talked about a lot of times, what you grew up on is what you're going to fixate on and always think that era is the best. But I'm not, I'm not a grumpy old man. The athleticism displayed now is fantastic, and I think we've spoken about that before. Um, so I, I appreciate, I appreciate it. But because it was so closed back then, it's just fascinating. How did these guys get into wrestling? You know, some of these guys wrestled in the carnivals and then trans, transferred that into professional wrestling, and that, and even guys like Red Bastine, who wrestled, you know, in the six. 60s and 70s but he wrestled in the carnivals you know right. and, and how did that happen and you know how you know you think pro wrestling is closed off and, and probably as a subset within that is carnival professional wrestling yeah and that must have looked like well, that's the thing that i find fascinating about a, uh, about a guy like harley race you know harley mm-hmm. race very similar to red like that's how he came up too even though it was after the time when the, you know, the Carney scene was, was really kind of on its way out, but that right. was still how he came up and, and thinking about him being a driver, you know, like he was mm-hmm. a driver. He wasn't even really, you know, uh, getting a lot of wrestling experience. He's mainly being used as a driver uh, for a while and, 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 and eventually, you know, becomes, arguably one of the greatest NWA world heavyweight champions of all time. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, the stories are fascinating and I I liken it in a lot of ways to, to like old Hollywood and, and the stories you hear about actors and how they got into the business and, and, you know, some people, sure they had a background in theater or Shakespeare or whatever, but then there are some people who literally just kind of, you know, stumbled into, you know, California off the train and somebody said, Hey, you might look good in a picture, you know? And then sure enough, like 20 years later, they're one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got people like Humphrey Bogart who, you know, spent the first 20 years of his career, just grinding it out in the theater scene and bit parts. And then finally, you know, makes this big break. Like that's a, that's kind of crazy. He was 40 years old before he became a leading man. And that like really? today, yeah, today that's like almost unheard of, but right. yeah, for a guy like him, yeah, he was 40 years old by the time he was making movies like, um, 
you know, to have and have not the big sleeve Casablanca, let's say, you know, right. it's, it's, uh, and, 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 you know, you think of that in terms too, again, it's similar to wrestling, whereas they were making like five, six movies a year back then. Right. You know, these days an actor might make, you know, one movie every two years, maybe, <laughs> right. Um, right. or at least have, you know, one released. And it's kind of similar with wrestling. Like back then they're wrestling like sometimes eight, nine times a week, you know, mm-hmm. These days, especially now in a, you know in the COVID world, some of these guys right. are wrestling like once every two weeks. Right. Um, so it's just yeah, the 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 changes and shifts uh, of the business are, are remarkable to me. Television, the way it's been used, I, I really enjoy the history of that. And you know, it's just it, it was just so much fun again to have a conversation with you guys because it's clear that that all of you, uh, you know, in addition to the great love for wrestling. Um, you know, you have that thirst for, for knowledge and, 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 and I just, you know, love and respect that because, um, I, I'd like to think that it's that type of mindset, um, that will hopefully, you know, lead to the preservation of a lot of this history, which is clearly something that, you know, the, the, you know, the TNT hall of fame, um, the Trago says hall of fame in Waterloo, Iowa is, is all about. And so I, I'm, I think that anything that can be done to ensure that that happens is extremely important. And once again, to use the parallel, I liken it to, to film preservation and making sure that, you know, classic films aren't lost due to, you know, degradation of, of, of the materials. So, um, the fact that not only does that exist, but that, uh, we were able to raise some money for them with the charity auction at Galacticon. And, and I think that that the intent is to do something like that again. So yeah, I, that, that, that's my long way of saying that, you know, I, I am just, I'm a big fan uh, of you guys and, and that mindset and, and so glad that we got to be able to have the, the conversation that people are about to hear. Well, yeah, we're always willing uh, and ready to talk wrestling. You know, I think back to when, uh, Tim and I became friends after the first Galacticon and some of the long, you know, two hour phone calls we'd have talking about our fads or wrestling we liked and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, really Tim is the one who kind of got me involved with, uh, he's the first person who showed me the wrestling observer. That's how I learned that. And, you know, I remember getting my first issue of that in January, 1992. And I was just hooked. Um, <laughs> was, the first issue I got was the awards issue. And then the next, and I got because he would send out four issues in a set. So if you subscribe midway through a set, he'd still, he'd send you the ones that came out earlier in that set to make sure you got, were off track. And it was obviously a lot easier bookkeeping for him. So I got two on the same day. So the, the, cover date of the awards issue was the first one. And then the second one, it was covering the Royal Rumble that Ric Flair just won and won the heavyweight championship. And I'll never forget because the title on the, the issue said Royal Rumble, the Ric Flair show, because (laughs) that's where everybody came in and worked spots, you know, and, and as I just read about different things in the observer and, you know, some people disagree with Dave Meltzer's take on wrestling and that's life. You're going to, you're not going to find, I'm very much, you know, we, we talked a little earlier. I'm very much, there's not just 
black and white or you know right or wrong there's a lot of moderation and, and i think people in general need to be more tolerant to that and i'm going to stop preaching now but you know, <laughs> um you know dave Meltzer is the preeminent wrestling historian yeah. and and unfortunately because he's so busy now these days um you know covering mma and covering the business part of wrestling, which he did before, but now it's so open as more of a business aspect. You know, the most history he writes about is when somebody passes away. And I, and I, it's terrible and and callous, but I'm just very respectful of his talents. The obituaries he writes are, you know, sometimes they're eight, 10 pages long and it's just a, a treasure trove of history. Um, and, so just learning about all that history through the observer and now through all these wonderful books that we have, um, you know, yeah, if I just, I just have an unquenchable thirst for knowledge for wrestling. And I just like to hear people's stories and learn things, you know, so that's, yeah. that keeps me going. I'm not, you know, at Galactic and somebody said, Oh, you know, you're a historian. I'm like, well, no, cause I'm not researching it. I'm just a voracious reader. I love reading. I always have when I, you know, started with comic books when I was a kid and, um, I just love reading. I'll be yeah. reading three or different books at a time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Same here. Same um, here. So I, I'm not a historian, but I sure love learning about wrestling. Yeah. Well, Hey, I, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, is hardcore history with Dan Carlin. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because he'll often, um, say similar things about himself you know, that he doesn't consider himself a historian or a researcher. He just reads these books and relays the information, you know, via his podcast and whatnot. And it's like, it's like, damn, come on, man. Like you are, you are absolutely a historian. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> like, and so I, I do, I consider, you know, I consider the, the, the time and effort, you know, of reading these books, of committing some of these facts, of, of, of being passionate about it, you know, that you, you, you can't help but eventually kind of become that, you know, you're able to answer questions and know things that, that, that not everyone else knows. And I think that that's one of the keys, too, to somebody like Meltzer is that he offers perspective. And I think a lot of times with those obituaries, with some of his match reviews, even when he's giving out star ratings, he does do a really good job whether it's in the observer specifically or, or on his Twitter or on the radio show, which is not really a radio show anymore, but you know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, he, he does a really good job of offering like perspective and context. And, and, and I think it's one of the, it's one of the nuances that people miss sometimes. And it's one of the reasons why he gets some criticism. And I think that some of the criticism that he gets it, it is probably deserved. Um, but, but some of the criticism, uh, in fact, I would even venture to say the majority of it is, is, given by people who I think are, are missing out on the nuance and maybe just looking at a star rating or they're just, mm-hmm. you know, reading one sentence and they're not understanding, you know, the context of it. And, and, and I think that that's really important and, and sure he's not infallible, you know, nobody is, right. but uh, I think when all is said and done, what he has um, provided for wrestling fans and provided for people who wish to kind of go that one step further um, is, is, it's just undeniable, you know, the door that he has opened for so, so many people and so many fans and writers and enthusiasts. And I think that, Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it deserves, it deserves some respect and consideration and, and, you know, in, in this day and age, um, again, not to sound, not to sound like a boomer as, as the kids say. Uh, but, but I think at this day and age, it's just so much easier to offer a, you know, fire off a hot take or, 
you know, get angry on Twitter than it is to, to actually kind of give some thought and consideration and, and, and really, you know, treat it in that nuanced way. Um, because I, I think that you mentioned the athleticism earlier. It, there's no arguing that as a whole, wrestlers today are more athletic than they were 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Right. And that's not to say that there aren't guys from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago that couldn't compete today, you know, mm-hmm. that, that wouldn't be stars today. It's just to say that if you look at it as a whole, I mean, just look at the body types, you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So, um, so I think that it's just important to, to, to understand that and to provide that continuity and, 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 you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier about territories where you grew up and be, you know, gravitating towards that. I think when you grew up, it's the same thing, you know, you, you, you know, if you're a product of the nineties, that's going to be the type of wrestling that you probably hold to a, a higher uh, a place than, than maybe current wrestling or wrestling from the seventies or eighties. Um, it's only natural, but I do think that the discussion and, uh, and I promise listeners, we're about ready to get to it, but the discussion that we were having the other night, uh, was really all about that. And, 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 you know, there are names that we mentioned that span, I mean, that's the, the incredible thing about what the game has done too, for opening those doors for people to learn more about wrestling as a, as, as a business and the people that have populated that business is that we talk about names of guys that, you know, were born in the 1870s, 1880s and 1890s. Right. All the way up to guys who are like in their twenties right now, you know, right. it's like that span of time. Uh, and to be able to celebrate that, I think I would rather do that than try to scrutinize any particular aspect or time period, um, because it is a rich, it is a rich history and there's so much to be mined from it. Um, and I think having that thirst that you were talking about, that's the key, right? You know, you don't, you don't want to deny yourself any, any piece. You want to, you want to take it all in, (laughs) Well, and what I think too is, you know, so say, so say Sam gives a match seven stars and I say, well, I mean, I really liked it, but I thought it was about a three and a half star and here's why. Neither one of us is wrong. Those are just our opinions. So when people lose their mind about Dave Meltzer saying this was the greatest match I've ever seen and I'm going to give it seven stars because I think it, what does it matter? Yeah. It, do, it just doesn't matter if you disagree with Dave Meltzer or you disagree with Sam or, or Jim Cornette or anybody on Twitter or anything. It's okay. It's your opinion. And if you say chaos is your favorite champion and I say that, no, I think uh, grunge is my favorite wrestler. <laughs> I'm trying to like throw out two guys diet. <laughs> what right, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it, it doesn't matter because it's your opinion opinions you know unless you have some opinion that's like horrible and i'm not going to say anything like that in the air but if you're about who your favorite wrestler your comic book or band it's just your opinion and people shouldn't get offended by that right i completely agree and and people just i don't know it's just they've lost their mind but the thing is if you look at a match from from 40 years ago you know, if I'm watching something from All Japan Classics and I'm thinking of a match between Pedro Morales and Giant Baba, and it's got a really cool finish because Pedro does the cannonball off the top rope. Have you seen this one, Sam? 
No, I haven't actually. Okay. So I, it's it's got to be, I'm pretty sure it's two out of three fall match. Pedro okay. comes off the top rope, and Giant Baba, he sits up when the cannonball's coming down, so it looks especially killer, right? Oh, man. And if you watch a match on AEW or NXT or Raw this week, if it makes you feel the same way, like, oh, my gosh, and you lose your mind, then that's that's what's made, bringing you enjoyment. So yeah. you have a match from the 70s that you give five stars to, and you can have a match from the 80s and from last week that you give five stars to. If it makes you feel the same way, that's your opinion, and that's what's cool. Yeah. wrestling should be fun. And I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't like a lot of the Chikara stuff or, or mm-hmm. some of the stuff that's just what I would consider silly. But not going to grudge people who like Chikara. They've been so blessed through this game because what do we have? Like 100 char- Chikara cards? Right, right, right. Good for them. And if I sit with my 70s and 80s guys and have the most fun, it's okay. You know, you could you could play this game and ignore every rule you want. I guess if you're having fun, that's okay. You know? Right. No, I, I, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And, and I think that, uh, there, there's so many experiences that as a wrestling fan that you, that you have where, you know, I've been at shows and seen a match that I just loved, loved, you know, and the guy next to me is just sort of like, meh, you know, and, but but the thing is, is it's like, that's okay. Like that's, that's totally fine. That's the joy of it. And, um, and, and it's the same thing with like, even gosh, I mean, to, to relate it directly to the game, like there are pieces of artwork in the game, for instance, or card stats, you know, for, for mm-hmm. wrestlers, like beating legends or wrestlers or whatever that, that right. I love. And then I'll see somebody on the message board to be like, man, you know, I thought this, 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 and it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you know, well, that's, that's fair, you know? Mm-hmm. I, and I think mm-hmm. that sometimes, and I'm not saying that this is, I, I rarely see this. Uh, on the Phil Singer Games message board. But I do think that sometimes one of the things that you'll see like on you know Twitter or Facebook or whatever is people have this burning desire to be right. Right. And I understand that. I like to be right. But, but <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> right? But but I, I think that if you you know if you sacrifice the you know the the possibility for you know furthering the discussion for having the conversation just for the sake of you know being right then you know you've you've denied yourself something really like you haven't right. really denied anyone else anything because you know i'm just going to go over here and have a conversation with you about this as opposed to the guy on twitter who right. thought that you know the that, that bruiser brody match that i mentioned sucked it's like well all right fine but i'll i'll hit up chat on zoom and i'll talk about it there <laughs> right right yeah i mean you just have so, to learn, learn uh, all that said, uh, we we do have a, a really wonderful conversation ahead for you with the legends team um you know chad obviously his brother Corey was able to join us uh Stu is there tim uh is there uh, <laughs> uh, it was kind of there <laughs> um well tim is there in spirit yeah yeah <laughs> And um, um, so we look forward to uh, obviously sharing this with you now and, and uh, any feedback that you might have, any other questions, um, you know, please uh, let us know because I'm sure that uh, whether we're able to pick it up here on, on KOPW or the Legends team decides to pick it up on Uncharted Territory, there is a good chance that you'll get your answer uh, to any questions you might have uh, very soon. Um, but we're going to come back uh, towards the end because, like I said, unfortunately, we, we kind of dropped the call at the end uh, and, and Chad now 
I'll talk for just a little bit more um, post show. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think when you get the chance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the King of Pro Wrestling podcast. Uh, back again with a, another Phil Singer Games edition, and I am joined by three fourths of the Legends of Wrestling team. Um, super excited to have them back. The last time they were on, um, Todd Gershel was the one that conducted the the interview. I was unable to take part, uh, and I, I missed out. But luckily, I've had the opportunity to talk to these guys a few times since then, and finally capitalizing on some free time on a Tuesday night to actually chat and record a podcast. Quick recap um, for anyone that was not you know, able to listen to that last episode that you were on. Um, if you could give a brief introduction and talk about a little bit about what you do on the game, that would be great. Um, Stu, let's go ahead and start with you. Thank you, Sam. I'm Stu Lowry. I've been writing the handbooks for Legends of Wrestling since its inception. I guess that was in 2001. And it's been a great ride. We've more or less had this team together since the very beginning, and we've gotten better and better at what we're doing. Uh, It's been a privilege to do it. It's been a lot of fun. It's allowed me also to get to know a lot of wrestlers that I knew about, but perhaps did not know that well in depth. So in researching their careers to give them a three paragraph synopsis in the handbook, it's allowed me the privilege of getting to know a lot of the histories a little bit better than I had before. So have had a blast doing this and looking forward to a rousing discussion tonight. Fantastic. Chad. Hi, my name is Chad Olson. I've been working on the car for legends since um, it had, the inception, even before that first set, when Tom was putting together a few cards for like the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and the Valentines, um, he had asked Tim and I to help him kind of with some of the stats on those. So whenever that project started, um, that, that's when I jumped on and been here ever since. And it's awesome to be here. We look forward to our talk with you, Sam. Excellent. Corey? Yeah, Corey Olson. Uh, I've been really around the Legends uh, line the whole time, um, kind of just helping in the background for some of those early sets, kind of did some of the work of gathering like the heights and weights and hometowns, making sure that was all accurate. And then over time, just kind of got involved more with the card making process, especially in the in the recent sets. Excellent, excellent. Unfortunately, uh, Tim Dalton could not join us. Technical difficulties, so he's not here tonight. But of course, he's an integral part to the Legends team as well. Um, now, of course, in addition to the Legends work, another uh, exciting thing that you announced just recently um, at one of the uh, larger Phil Singer Game Hangouts um, is that you guys have your own podcast now, um, Uncharted Territory, and uh, you've got what two episodes out yeah. as of now, Correct. right? Yeah, Correct. excellent, excellent. Um, so, uh, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Corey? You want to go ahead and hop in? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, this was kind of an idea Chad and I had a couple of years ago, just one Saturday afternoon, we'd gotten together, uh, met about halfway between our houses for lunch and just kind of the idea kind of popped up and started throwing out some ideas of topics we could discuss. Um, of course having to do with the game, but, uh, you know, just, just various things. And, um, this year with, COVID and, and things being shut down, uh, the three of us and Tim and once in a while, Mike Molesky started kind of a weekly tradition of getting together on either Zoom or, or um, Skype or something 
and either chatting about legends, uh, sometimes watching old matches. And it just kind of became a weekly thing. It actually started for my birthday this year. That was kind of my birthday present that we got together and watched videos. And uh, we said that, hey, let's do this every week. You know, we're all going to be home for a while. And from there, we talked more and more. Well, this, you know, let's turn this into our podcast. You know, we can talk, talk legends, talk champions of the galaxy. And uh, we just started looking up. How do we do this? And it wasn't as hard as, as we thought it might have been. Uh, so we're, we're certainly not experts or, or pros at it yet, but getting the hang of it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed doing either video or, or audio projects like this as just kind of a side hobby. So it got to combine wrestling with, with one of my interests. And uh, it's just been, been a blast for these first couple episodes. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I know that uh, you've got uh, a great episode where you cover the latest legend set, the Trago Says Hall of Fame uh, set, which uh, I think uh, anyone should, should definitely take a listen to. Uh, it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, get your thoughts on, on the cards and uh, and what went into the process of, of crafting the set. And I, I don't want to, you know, repeat too much of that, but certainly I do have some questions and I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but before we do, um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious that, you know, I think we probably all have similar journeys into the game, um, you know, being wrestling fans uh, when we're younger. Uh, but obviously with, with the Legends side of things, uh, I'd be very interested to hear about your experiences with wrestling growing up. You know, like the territory that you grew up with, or you know, was it more more televised? You, you know, by the time WWE, WWF at the time came around, um, and I have a feeling I know the answer to some of this, but but for listeners that might not, uh, Chad, why don't you start us off? So I grew up watching the AWA um, around. Like, I remember 1984 with Rick Martel as the champion, the Road Warriors as champions, the fabulous ones chasing the Road Warriors. I watched it before that at my great-grandparents' house on Sunday afternoons. Um, So I have a little bit of memory, like, with Nick Bockwinkle and Mr. Saito, and maybe when the uh, WWF started its expansion, it didn't register with me right away because... A lot of the first guys jump into the WWF were from the AWA, like, you know, Mean Gene and and Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura. Um, But I remember wrestling moved from Sunday afternoon to Sunday night, which was way past my bedtime. It was on like at 1030 or 11 o'clock at night. And there was no way, you know, (laughs) as a fourth grader, I was staying up that late. I was like Stewart's sleep schedule now. And um, then it moved to, from what I recall, it moved to Saturday night. And then all of a sudden one night it was gone and WWF was on in place, you know, and it was Vince McMahon and Bruno doing commentary with their matching yellow blazers. And they're calling Bruno the living legend. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Vern Gagne is the legend, you know? <laughs> so... You know, then it was just kind of off and run with WWF, and I had two good friends who were also really into wrestling. And um, on a, a kind of a crazy note, I've mentioned before that I work with an independent wrestling group here in Iowa, and my friend from when I was five years old, Troy Peterson, is owner of that group. So now mm-hmm. I I bring announce for him and I help him book the promotion. So we've been 
friends through wrestling or, you know, friends since we were five or six years old and now we're 47 and we're running a wrestling promotion. So, um, and, and Corey kind of has a similar, so I'll let him take kind of the back half of, of our wrestling, uh, TV experience. But I mean, I've, I've been ever in it ever since then, even when I wasn't watching as much, I started getting the wrestling observer in 1992. So that helped me be connected to wrestling and started playing the, the game in, in 1986 when it originally came out. And, you know, I don't, actively play that anymore but i'm always booking angles in my mind and you know i could do this and the the guys on the team called me the best booker who doesn't play the game (laughs) i I guess i probably couldn't be the best booker who plays the game because of of their high quality promotion so i'll probably just stay retired (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah Corey, why don't you go ahead and follow up on that sure um yeah, so I, you know, I'm about eight years younger than Chad. So my earliest memories of of wrestling are WWF again when they kind of took over our local local channel. Um, I and I, I know I mentioned this in one of our recordings. I just can't remember if it's a podcast we've dropped yet. But um, there, the I have a memory of Jake the Snake Roberts uh, putting the snake on a on a preliminary wrestler after defeating him, and just being amazed by that. And I, I can remember regularly kind of keeping up with storylines and results about 88 probably i can remember a lot of uh, uh hulk hogan losing to andre and then the mega powers the team and then the breakup and all of that um but i i did catch the awa my first live card was an awa card 1989 uh larry zabisco was had just had just won the the world title in the battle royal he defended against greg Gagne in the main event um, a lot of talent on that card, you know, some guys kind of at the end of their career, Ken Patera, Wahoo McDaniel, Tommy Rich, uh, but then a lot of guys who gained names later on. Scott Norton uh, was, I think, in the opener or early on the card. Um, the Destruction Crew, who later became the Beverly Brothers in the WWF, uh, were both on there, and they were still relatively new in the business. Um, you had Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, and WWF fans might remember them more as the Orient Express. And in other gimmicks as well, but you know it didn't. It may not have seemed like the most impressive card, but you know historically there were a lot of tie-ins uh, to that card. And then, uh, as I said, that was 1989, um, Mason City, Iowa, and the AWA was definitely in its in its last on its last legs. But to me, uh, guys like Larry Zbysko and Sergeant Slaughter at that point in the AWA, um, Baron von Raschke were just as big of the names as guys in the WWF and in the NWA. Um, I realized there was some level of difference as far as the popularity and the, the size of crowds they were drawing. Uh, but to me, all these guys were on the same level. You know, Larry Zabisco, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, uh, they were all champs. They were all the world champs. And, you know, I, I wanted to see them fight each other. So <laughs> I think my, my first live show was probably somewhere around that same time. Um, it would have been in, uh, in St. Louis and we were living, uh, right outside of St. Louis at the time. And it was, it was a WWF show. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, I, just just like the you know seeing seeing all those all those names and seeing some of the and even then like some of my favorite names hadn't exploded yet like uh, even in '89 like I was I, I loved Bret Hart and so like you know I remember a few years later going to see a show and then he was you know world champion and he was like taking on you know Papa Shango in the main event you know for the title or whatever but uh, but even back then like seeing you know seeing some of those younger stars and then of course seeing some of the uh, the names that were kind of on their way out I think. Um, I want to say that Harley might have been at that card. Um, but yeah, but anyway, uh, uh, I had such great, great memories from the 80s in general. Um, Stu, what about what about you as far as your uh, you know first foray into the, the business? Well, I got you guys beat by a few years. Uh, I, my first memories, first of all, my sleep habits are getting a really bum rap here. <laughs> I'm going to try to push the envelope tonight. Okay. Uh my uh, my first memories of pro- professional wrestling were Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Uh, it was the early 70s, I'm going to say 73, 74. Uh, I was living in Richmond, Virginia. They would come on Saturdays at midday right before ACC Basketball, which is another absolute favorite of mine. And the at that particular time mid-atlantic championship wrestling was having a real golden age you had wahoo mcdaniel you had rick flair truly coming into his own you had greg valentine you had paul jones you had blackjack mulligan you had eventually ricky steamboat it was a who's who when the crockett territory was exploding with talent and i as a kid was absolutely hooked and i bought into it hook line and sinker uh i i absolutely loved wrestling i loved that brand of wrestling and i can remember distinctly when one of my brothers told me was it real and i said no no you can't say that what are you talking about (laughs) these are these are world-class athletes but uh it it just destroyed things for a little while but luckily i was able to regain my footing and still still clung to my love of professional wrestling and i my first memories of any real angles, if you want to call it that, angles were not all that intricate back then. Were Blackjack Mulligan starting to slightly turn face. Uh, I remember that, and he was getting quite a following, quite an imposing man. And in Flair, it wasn't really an angle so much as he would, as great a heel as he was, he was sometimes presented as a pseudo face in Mid-Atlantic. Uh, just because he was cheered down in the Carolinas and he had that going for him. And I, I loved Flair from from the word go and always have. I've been a Flair mark ever since, even though um, his matches got a little repetitive as he got older. But <laughs> enjoyed Flair immensely. And that was just a great time to come of age as a wrestling fan. I remember when WWF took off in the 80s. <laughs> I'm nowhere near as discerning a fan now in terms of match quality, but I remember thinking this couldn't hold a candle to what I grew up with. So uh, I remember that distinctly and I wasn't all that interested in it. In fact, kind of my interest in wrestling died a little bit after that for a while. So mid-Atlantic fan definitely raised on mid-Atlantic and have very fond memories of that era. So were you so so speaking of that era, uh, you, you know, one of the uh, and, and obviously it's it's one of those things that you can recreate in the game, which is awesome. Um, were you witness to any of the um, Blackjack Mulligan Mass Superstar cage matches? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I, and I forgot about Mass Superstar. I wasn't. I can remember that going on. But no, I, I did not see them. Uh, and I wasn't 
privy to them other than what they gave the results on TV. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, I mean, that, that's actually, it's one of the things I did want to talk a little bit about, uh, in general, um, because uh, obviously, you know, Chad mentioning AWA, uh, I have some memories of watching AWA when I was young. Um, you know, I'm 39. So growing up in the eighties, I, I started watching wrestling, you know, as early as I can remember, but even then that was only like, you know, 85. Um, so by the time I was really watching, you know, WWF had really already began the, began the expansion, uh, you know, WrestleMania was, was, was getting ready to take place. And, um, you know, that was really what, what drew me in that said, living in Kansas City, Missouri at the time, um, you know, we were we were getting, you know, some AWA stuff as well. So I can remember watching, uh, you know, AWA at times with my mom um, and, and my mom had ties to AWA because when she uh, left high school, she actually lived in Minneapolis for a while and worked as a waitress at a, at a bar up there and the wrestlers used to come in. And so, you know, she had all sorts of stories about, you know, waiting tables and these guys and, you know, like Andre the Giant would come in and Bobby Heaton would come in and Greg Gagne and, you know, and just all these these names. And for, you know, for a five, six year old kid, I was just like, you know, you saw Andre the Giant in person. Uh, but those are um, some pretty good sized tabs, I bet. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing that that was actually one of the things that she said. And quite frankly, I didn't understand this until I was a little older. But yeah, I mean, she was just sort of like, yeah, the tips were great when they came in, you know, when they were in town, it was a good night to to wait tables. Um, but uh, uh, but I, you know, I did obviously miss out on on some of really the, the golden era uh, of both AWA and mid-Atlantic, which I didn't really get into until later, you know, with, with tapes and, and things like that in the nineties. Um, although I, you know, reading about stuff in magazines was always huge too, you know, when I was younger, cause anytime we were at the grocery store, I, you know, I'd pick up a wrestling magazine, um, you know, and, and, a, and a Superman comic book. And that was my reading for the week or whatever. But, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things that has changed so much, uh, and I love talking about this aspect of the business, is that television was largely used as a promotional vehicle, and it was not the where you saw like the great matches. And you know, nowadays you'll see so many great matches on on TV. Well, I guess that's up for debate, but you know, you'll see a lot of really great matches on TV, and of course, you know, pay per view or streaming. Um, but back then, you know, when you were watching. You know, all-star wrestling or, or, you know, something from Atlantic or whatever, you were usually just seeing kind of, you know, promos and, and, and squash matches to get you excited for, you know, the live shows. Um, so keeping that in mind, I am kind of curious as to, you know, what you guys think about the fact that so much of the, like the great stuff was, you know, was basically, never filmed or if it was filmed, you know, doesn't have commentary, doesn't, you know, it's just a single camera, you know, pointed at the ring or something like that. Um, and it's, and again, it's just one of my favorite aspects of the business because it is so much of it lives up in your head, uh, since we don't have that, that type of footage. Um, so Stu, especially you, you know, growing up in that mid Atlantic territory and so many, you know, classic matches taking place with so many, you know, some of the finest talents that the business ever uh, seen. Um, yeah, just what are your thoughts on, on, on that? Well, it would definitely, it definitely was a promotional tool. I mean, the, the interviews that were done on each show were, I won't call them extensive, but they took up large chunks of the program. 
And that was meant to drive people to the arenas. And it was, it was clearly a promotional tool to get people to the live events. Now, with that said, usually, not all the time, but usually the main events on TV were interesting. They weren't mm-hmm. total squash matches. You would have feuding talents going at it. Um, I can remember the Briscoes eventually found their way to Mid-Atlantic, too. So, I mean, good gosh, it was a who's who uh, when I was watching it, at least when I was watching it religiously. So the the main events, maybe the semi-main, if you want to call it that, were decent matches. But, yeah, there were a lot of squash matches, a lot of really bad matches <laughs> and used by you know, with enhancement talent to get the, the main guys over and to get the feuds over. And then the rest was just promos. And that was driving people to the arenas. It was a model that worked for many, many years, obviously. And I'm, I'm not going to – I won't argue with the fact that it's it's great seeing really good matches on TV now. But there was something special about live wrestling back then, if you, if, if you want to call it that. Uh, it was different, um, that, that aura, that feel of being in an arena, going to that particular – or going to a card and seeing live wrestling. It was different because TV was not giving it away. And um, I don't know. I don't know if it's better or worse now, but it, it made live wrestling more of an event. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, as far as like kind of talking about AWA, um, you know, one could certainly argue that by the time uh, uh, their TV show uh, like, you know, for instance, when they were on ESPN there for, for a hot minute, you know, there were some good matches here and there. But most of the great matches that you really hear about when it comes to, to the AWA had already, you know, taken place. That, that, that a lot of, you know, the AWA's, you know, glory years when it came to, to in-ring was probably going to be like, you know, late 60s through the mid-70s. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, as somebody who grew up with, with the promotion in the 80s, um, you know, was that was it a similar experience to what Stu's talking about on TV? Yeah, I think, you know, what you grow up with and what you first get immersed with, you're going to think that's the greatest thing ever. Right. And then you, you go back and I've collected a lot of AWA footage. Corey shakes his head. He, <laughs> he's seen the collection. <laughs> um, I mean, I probably I probably have at least 200 AWA DVDs of various compilations and anything I can get my hands on, TV years, everything. And you go back and look at it now and you're like, oh, my God, this is really bad. You know, but as a kid, if that's all you know, you know, I couldn't imagine the overload of growing up in the 90s or late 80s when you'd have, you know, 10 different wrestling shows, kind of like when – when Corey and my parents, they moved to Ohio after I got, um, I went to college. Before that, we lived out on an acreage. We didn't have cable. I mean, there's a large part of our time where we didn't have any televised wrestling because WWF eventually went off the air, too, in our area. Um, you know, but when you have cable and you're seeing all these promotions, it would just be overload because at that point there was so many great matches. But we didn't we didn't know any better. And with the AWA, they would show highlights um, from the St. Paul Civic Center and of, of like the big matches. And, you know, they started making they had a videotape series. You know, there was only eight of them instead of the hundreds of WWF ones. But 
even watching those, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so fantastic. And I remember all those matches from all those tapes, even the ones that were very one-sided, you know, where Sergeant Slaughter was, was beating on some guys and, they, you know, they were squash matches, but they're just burned in your brain because at that time there was so little wrestling and, and I just had an appetite for it, you know. Yeah. And now I now with being involved with and I don't mean to sound over important, I'm not at all, but, you know, just having the opportunity to see independent wrestling, you know, when we run shows in non-pandemic times at least two to three times a month you know and we brought in a lot of great talent and for the hall of fame show a couple years ago we had ricochet versus sammy callahan in our main event and i mean i was i was or Corey or Stu, were you guys at that show i was yeah that was an amazing match (laughs) i mean i got done i wasn't uh that, you know, I got done with that match and I just looked at Tim. I'm like, that was the greatest match I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's different. I'm not one of those grumpy old men who's like, oh, wrestling was only good, you know, in 1972. Well, right. it's going to change. And, you know, even towards the end of their lives, people like Winkle and the Destroyer, Dick Byer, you know, they attended that first um, King of the Indies show. That was out in California that Roland Alexander ran that kind of led to the formation of ROH and that whole modern indie style. And both Nick Bockwinkle and the Destroyer are gushing over how athletic the wrestlers. I mean, you can't argue. You can argue a lot about the psychology changing of wrestling and some of that stuff. But the athleticism is is off the charts. It's not even close, you know. So, um, yeah, I just it always holds a special place in my heart and I love it, but you can't turn the dial back. So right. what you have to do is appreciate what we have now and how that entertains you, you know, and there's a lot of the out of the ring stuff that I, I'm just like, Oh, whatever, you know, but sure. that's okay. Right. Right. Well, you know, and it, it, it's funny because, uh, having the opportunity to interview Magnum TA, um, gosh, I can't believe, it. I guess it's been almost two years, uh, two years ago, he and I were talking about the, um, Adam Cole ricochet match, uh, that had just taken place on one of the takeovers. And, uh, of course at, at, at that time, um, uh, not to turn this into the gossip hour or whatever, but at that time, you know, his stepdaughter, Tessa Blanchard was dating Ricochet. Yep. And so he, he knew Ricochet very well. They, you know, they talked wrestling all the time and, and, you know, he was just gushing over that match and, 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 and yeah, you know, later on when we were talking about some of the differences between, you know, when he was wrestling versus now and things that he might do differently. He, he certainly had some, some critiques, but, you know, overwhelmingly, yeah, I mean, he was very positive about this, the state of the business and the state of, of, of the athleticism, like you were talking about, uh, of, of the talent. Um, um, and I do think, you know, kind of also uh, uh, piggybacking on what you were saying about some of the out of the ring stuff, it, it is interesting because going back and looking at, at some of the the promos that were cut, you know, maybe 35, 40 years ago, there are some that, you know, that you're just kind of like, oh, man, that's what passed for a promo back then. Uh, <laughs> but then again, you look at some stuff today and, and, and it's, you know, and it's in rough shape you know it's like you had a golden age for sure you know there were some guys cutting promos in the late 90s and early 2000s and it's just sort of like well very few guys are ever going to get any better than that and very few guys have ever you know done any better than that that said you look at roddy piper and i don't care when he was where he was or what he was like that guy was going to talk people into the building 
if it's 2020, if it's, you know, 1975, if it's 1985, it didn't matter, you know, and and I think that that is one aspect where it's sort of like you do. And it's the reason why a guy like Dusty Rhodes was, you know, at, at the head of, of the performance center and working with all this young talent is because, you know, Dusty had it and, and, and he knew what it took to, to do that. And it was, and, and, and that doesn't change, you know, that, that indefinable thing that, that some people have, and some people can just, you know, you put a microphone in their hand and they're off to the races. Um, so I think that while certain things have certainly changed, you know, business is not necessarily, you know, that different, um, now compared to what it was, you know, even, even 40 years ago. Um, but but all that all that said, uh, the I, I think that one of the things that I love about the game and kind of going back to what I was saying, too, about, um, you know, some of those matches really kind of having to live inside your head because all we have are descriptions or clips is that, you know, so much of the, the game, it, 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 it resides in your head as well. You know, I mean, yeah, you're rolling dice, you know, you're getting, you know, moves on, on the card. Um but I, I think for me, the reason why I've always loved playing um, and the reason why I, I like kind of a leisurely pace when I when I play, you know, I know some people, you know, use like the, the, the simulator online and, and just, you know, hit a button and the match is done or, you know, or they just roll, 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 you know, try to get out of the way as quick as possible. For me, it really is about imagining that action. And with the Legends game in particular, I feel very, very connected to that aspect in a way that I sometimes don't always to Champions of the Galaxy. Um, and and for me, it's almost like the champion stuff is, is, is a great way to like tell stories, have fun and get, you know, just get crazy w- with things. Uh, although I've definitely had some amazing matches that I've rolled out, you know, without a doubt uh, in GWF or CPC or and the CWF. Uh, but that said, for me, Legends is always the, 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 the game that as I'm playing it, I really am very conscious of a certain style, you know, both in ring and, and out of the ring. So I'd be curious to know, um, I'll start with you, Corey, when it comes to actually, you know, envisioning what goes into a set and what goes into, you know, creating the, the wrestler's cards, um, how much of the way that that card performs within the context of a match is at the forefront of your mind when you're kind of putting those things together? Yeah, I, I think, I think whether any of us, whether Chad, Tim or I are working on the stats that definitely, you know, comes into mind, um, based on the guy's real life success, his push, if you want to say that, um, you know, we want to portray it as, as, um, realistically as possible. Um, kind of you know and sometimes we we don't do a lot of play testing as far as you know chestnut out the stats ahead of time we maybe once a few times here and there but um talking about the simulator i think we may have done that for a few guys here and there but not very many and um you know we just we just try to and it's you know a lot of it's based too on the guy's era you know a guy from the 80s might have a little more mm, basic style as far as not a lot of explosive moves not a lot of level three moves maybe a, a more moderate rating of a finisher um you know guys now might have some more give like add one moves or roll moves and, and different things like that 
Um, so yeah, we, we definitely try to kind of keep that in mind as we're designing cards. That's surprising to me that, that there's not a lot of play testing. And I imagine some of yeah. that just comes from experience because for me, you know, one of the things that, that I felt, um, with my legends fed, um, which I admittedly have not played super recently, um, is that I, I'm always it, with a couple of rare exceptions here or there, and that's just the way the dice roll sometimes. But you know, I always feel like the matches um, they they usually feel very realistic to me, um, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, guys that you would imagine are going to have a good back and forth match have a good back and forth match. You mm-hmm. know, guys that you imagine are going to come out there and just like you know you know squash a guy uh uh it usually happens so um i i am kind of surprised to hear that you know tim uh has has popped in luckily and um he uh, uh he just noted that you know you guys have all been playing for for a long time and understand how those stats impact performance and i think that that's clear um what, one question that i'll ask just because it's one of my favorite aspects of the game that i know having you know been a part of the message boards for years and years and years and, 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 and now having the chance to, to speak with, with, you know, other, other, uh, uh, players in a way that I wasn't necessarily engaging with prior, you know, to, to, to having Todd on the podcast. Um, when it comes time to decide on the choice charts and, and, and you know, what you're, what you're throwing in, uh, as far as that goes, how important, um, do you guys find, uh, the choice charts and, and what sort of dictates, um, you know, where you, where you go with that, uh, especially, you know, which, which choice you, you, you go with and, and, and the type of wrestler, um, you know, feel free to even throw up examples if you want to, but, uh, Chad, I'll go ahead and, and toss that question to you. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Sam. Um, I think part of it is balance in terms of, I hate to say that we stat people sometimes based on who they're in a set with, but sometimes we stat people based on who they're in a set with. You know, we can't we I don't know if you've ever heard us talk about the the nerd sheet. Um, no. So this I remember what led to it. We had made. Yep. Tim. Tim invented the nerd sheet. He just popped that in the chat in all caps. Yes, Tim. <laughs> Giving you some love. That's um, his baby. Yep. So when the Brutus Beefcake and Buff Bagwell special edition or limited edition black and white cards came out. And I don't think Corey remembers this stuff way better than I do, but I don't think the same person worked on both cards, right? Correct. You, I believe you or Tim did beefcake and, and that was one of the Bagwell was one I helped out a lot with. It just kind of fell to me somehow. That was one of the yeah. first like full cards I did. I think maybe I just volunteered yeah. to do that to help you guys out but basically we built them exactly alike very similar choice b on level two number four something like that and tom is like try not to do that so then (laughs) tim made this spreadsheet that we that i christened the nerd sheet where when we're building a set we put every character in there and we make sure that there's kind of an equitable mix of people who have choice A versus people who have into the ropes versus people who have into the ropes C, so on and so on. Um, we, I mean, every, every component of a card, every chart, DQs, pins, um, two out of the rings, um, all those things are on this spreadsheet. And we can certainly, I'll, I'll put one in the Google Drive sometime and that 
and let everybody take a peek at that. Um, but it was to prevent us from making everyone structured the same. Sure. So there's ways to make people obviously similar levels of power without making them built the same. You know, early yeah. on when Tim and I made the first set, we kind of decided, okay, who are our A plus guys? You know, like Buddy Rogers and Harley Race, and you know, who are we? We kind of we did an A B C D thing. And even though we don't do that as actively because the roster's gotten so huge, <laughs> Tim and I will be talking or I'll talk to Corey or Stu and say, okay, this guy should be like a B plus or maybe this guy's a C plus, B minus, things like that. So we just have a um, – yeah, Tim just said we have different people working on different cards, so it helps prevent everybody from using similar layouts. And, and that's what happened with Beefcake and, and, and Bagwell Um a long time ago. So that's why the nerd sheet was invented. Um, but we do also try to mix it up. You know, um, Tom likes us to have, you know, maybe one guy in the set who has a level two with three level three moves uncovered, you know, in four, five, and six that has that explosive offense. And one guy who maybe has an uncovered death jump to show that they're a daredevil. And obviously, like in the upcoming vintage set, that's not going to happen. You know, right. the vintage set's probably going to have no death jumps. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but or, and you can't, you know, if if there's not anybody with that really explosive dynamic offense, we may not put that in there. But in general, we try to do a decent job of mixing things up and, and just making people look a little different. So you don't pull out 10 cards and say, oh, my gosh, they're all built the same, because sometimes you know, I not with anything official, but I've seen people bootleg stuff and, um, and they'll just be similar. And I'm like, well, let's, you know, you, you could mix that up and, and still have the same effect. But yeah, to Corey's mention about the playtesting thing, I mean, I remember us doing that for the sheep herders because we were, they were a hard team to structure for us because they had such wildly different careers you know it was like they were two tag teams they were the sheep herders in in mid-south in puerto rico and florida and then they're in the wwf and the bushwhackers and they're licking faces and stuff you know they were so different (laughs) and it was really hard to structure them um but yeah so kind of sorry i spent 10 minutes dodging your question but the the chart thing is just to to mix it up to make people look different but also you know um putting it putting one on level three number one if you're covering a level two move but you're still putting a chart on it i mean that that kind of is a bonus and and when we make cards um at least in my mind but i think tim and and Corey share this you know the move that's on the card so if you have snapmare two choice c if it if I roll that and successful in my mind that character's doing a snapmare they're not doing whatever's on the card you know they're yeah, not yeah. they're not doing the drop kick off the chart and especially with like choice G and choice H those big moves on the power guys Tim agreed you know I mean we're not going to have King Kong Bundy regardless of what the chart says he's not doing a death jump off choice G he's he's doing a right. body splash into the corner so. Especially, you know, I can't speak to any other sets, but with legend stuff, know that in our minds we're really having them use that move instead of the chart move. And if I, I so can add to that, Sam. Oh yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great point that Chad made, and you know, I think 
at least for me, and I, I think the rest of the team, when we're thinking a lot of those choice situations, we might be thinking older versions of the charts. Yeah. Um, you know, like choice C for a long time was a drop kick on the choice chart. So if yeah. we might have a guy, you know, drop kick to choice C. Um, I, and I've been trying to learn the, the new charts now just to kind of have a knowledge of them. You know, I know like somebody's got a power bomb on one of those choices. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of our legends guys aren't going to be necessarily doing those modern moves in our mind. If you want to do it, then it's up to you, promoter. But, you know, when, when we kind of structure it, we're kind of thinking we're, we're connecting to those original charts in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so funny that you, that you, uh, uh, said that Chad and then, and then you bounced off of that Corey because I was literally going to ask, uh, you, you know, as, as sort of a piece of trivia, what you thought, uh, as far as it, was it the move that's on the card or the move that's on the chart? Um, and for me, I, I am, I almost always do the same thing. Um, there's, there's one instance though, and this is not legends related at all. Um, but Torin Kalem for my, uh, classics fed, uh, when he would roll on the choice chart and hit the moonsault move that's on the new choice chart, I was like, he's doing the moonsault. Cause there was just something about that, that it's just like, it's like, it, it's almost like Kurt Angle doing the moonsault where you almost don't expect it. Cause he's such a map based wrestler, but then he'll pull that moonsault out every once in a while. And I was like, that's perfect. I'm going to let him do it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I, I, always go with what's uh what the move is on the uh on the card um uh th- th- that is really interesting to hear just in general about you know about the the statting of, of wrestlers and i think that the hierarchy of the cards um per set works really really well and i know that this is something that you know we kind of have, have talked about before and, and i've even talked about with todd and, and mike a little bit about too that you know when you're when you are putting a set together Sure, it would be very easy to say, let's, you know, let's throw like four or five, you know, main event guys in a set, but that doesn't really necessarily work for many reasons. And and, and I, I've always enjoyed um, the balance of the sets. And, and in general, you know, like even with this newest set, you get like Jack Briscoe, who clearly is is going to, you know, be a force to reckon with no matter who he's taking on, whether says or harley race or you know randy savage or any of those other top tier cards from prior sets um but then you get you know you get this great mix uh, of names and people that are still going to to I, I think make a run uh especially like secondary titles or something like a, a you know bob roop or dick hutton or you know any of those names and then of course with the light heavyweight names like um danny hodge which is i mean Danny Hodge is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time anyway. So, so like having him in the set and then having both, both cards, which of course his prior card had as well, um, is awesome. And, and, and then, uh, you know, with, with Jerry Briscoe being able to have both the, 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 the tag version really in the light heavyweight version is, is really nice. Um, so I've always appreciated that about the sets. Uh, now Stu, you kind of touched on this earlier, uh, as far as like being able to learn, um, about some of these names, uh, and as you've you know been writing the, the booklets, and I know for me, I've mentioned this many times before, um, that while for the most part I'm familiar with the names in the sets, and sometimes you know know quite a bit about them, um, and and then other times maybe not as much, but there are definitely a, you know, a few names here and there where I, I have total blind spots, um, so I am curious that when you know when the sets are being put together. Um, and, and feel free to be specific. Are there any names where you're just sort of like, I'm really going to have to do my homework on this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 
I, I definitely with the ladies set that was released, mm. I don't know, a couple of sets ago, there were some in there that I, I had no clue. And it was just fun to, to research and, and to try to understand their career and where they fit in, certainly in the history of women's professional wrestling. And I, I enjoyed that process. Uh, there are others. I remember Fritz von Goring or Goering, whichever way you pronounce it. I didn't have a clue who old Fritz was. And I, uh, in researching him and trying to understand him a little bit better, I have since gained a new, new appreciation of Fritz. And in fact, have uh, had a, a couple of fun little angles I've worked with Fritz in my Legends Fed, and he's become a little bit of a fave of mine. And that's that's occurred a few times. I remember the Terrible Turk when we were doing uh, going back a little ways in terms of our our sets, I knew enough about the terrible Turk and there were several terrible Turks in wrestling or professional wrestling history, but I gained a appreciation of that particular character. And certainly for a while before we had so many wrestlers from which to choose, I had the terrible Turk and some fun angles too. So it lends itself to doing that uh, when I'm compiling the handbook and to, to dovetail a little bit on, uh, and I wanted to just interject this uh, in terms of creating the cards and the sets and the stats themselves. And I've said this a few times, and uh, the guys may be humble, so I want to say it for them. They, they do a remarkable job of not only capturing the, the, the feel or the era of that wrestler in which that wrestler competed in terms of their move sets. But they also do a good job of capturing that wrestler's persona on the back of that card, uh, just in terms of some of the move descriptions that they use and the overall flavor for, for those wrestlers. You get a real sense, when, or at least I do, when, I'm, when I've got the wrestlers in the ring and I'm, I'm having a match of how that wrestler performed. And I, I think there's a little bit of an art towards do, to doing that. And your Legends card-making team is – very, very adept at doing that. They deserve all the praise in the world for doing that. And I just wanted to piggyback on the previous conversation and say that too. Yeah, no, Stu, I, I completely, completely agree. And it's something that I, you know, I have had the chance to mention before, um, you know, when talking with like Todd and Mike uh, on previous podcasts that um, for me, like, I, I think the hardcore set that came out um, is a really great example of that, honestly, because the, um, there were, there were times when, you know, having those guys, you know, in the ring, so to speak, um, it, it felt just so genuine as far as, you know, the unpredictability, um, you know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, just, just being able to have a little help when it came to getting creative for, you know, what was, what was going to happen. Um, and, and I think that in particular with, with some of those brawlers, um, it, it really shines through. Um, and, but even obviously with the technicians, um, you know, one of my favorite cards, uh, black and white cards and, and, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for a vintage release, uh, would have to be the, the Frank Gotch card. And, and, and I love, you know, Gotch, uh, it was just so easy to kind of imagine, um, what was happening in the ring and what he was doing. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, you have those moments when obviously there's a certain degree of, um, of, uh, uh, um, randomness that, that comes into the game that you never know exactly what's going to happen. But there are times when 
you find that that a match proceeds and flows exactly how you would imagine it to, to the point where, you know, there, there are setup moves, you know, and there's, there, there are payoffs, there are wear down holds. There's, you know, there's these bursts of action where things kind of explode and then it gets, you know, gets a little quiet and there's a real rhythm to it, which I, which I enjoyed. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask and, and mentioning Gotch, this is a perfect opportunity. Uh, and when you mentioned the terrible Turk earlier, it, it brought it to mind too. When you have names, and for the upcoming vintage set, when you have names that we don't have any footage for, or maybe you've got, you know, 10 seconds of silent black and white footage for or something like that, um, how do you go about creating those cards? And even for you, Stu, as well, feel free to jump in with, you know, what resources you use for that card creation and then for those bios, Um, because... Yeah, for a lot of these names, especially with some of the, you know, some of the other sets and for the upcoming, you know, 80s Northeast set that's coming out, like you've got tons of footage, you know, you've got tons of things to rely on. So for the, you know, for vintage stuff, what do you guys do? Um, we read a lot of books, anything <laughs> we can track down on it, you know, for Gotch, uh, the gentleman who started the Dan Gable Wrestling Museum Tragos Thez Hall of Fame is named Mike Chapman. He is an author. He's, um, you know, a, a big amateur wrestling historian, but he also has an appreciation for professional wrestling. So he's he's done a book about Frank Gotch, read that. Um, Farmer Burns, who is Frank Gotch's trainer, has a, had a male, what do I want to say, a mail order, almost like a correspondence wrestling course. And we have a copy. I think Tim has one. I have one. Um, you know, the the wrestling museum has a library. There's been many times, especially early on, where we would go up there and visit the library and, and do research. Um, in our podcast, I mentioned Pike Mojo has an excellent site. Um, there's a, a collection of information that he's, that was put together by um, a wrestling historian named J. Michael Kenyon. He passed away a couple years ago, but it's called Wrestling As We Liked It. Mm-hmm. Or if you just search for W-A-W-L-I, it's called the, the, the Wally, Wally Papers or Wally Index. If you Google that, it it's just a data dump of anything in the newspapers about wrestling in 1942 it's match results it's everything and i will go on that website and just do a find and search for dick hutton and i'll do that on pike's mojo site too and do the same thing and look is there any mention about what dick hutton used to finish this match off hey use the atomic drop yeah the farmer burns school of wrestling Lessons in Wrestling and Physical Culture. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, and that has a lot of photos of Farmer Burns and Frank Gotch actually demonstrating moves. Mm. So, of course, with some of these guys, there's there's creative license. Um, and kind of as a trivia note, Terrible Turk was, he's the only wrestler in a legend set, um, aside from like the original Greg Valentine that Tom did before we were involved, um, Terrible Turk, Tom latched onto him. I don't know if it was his fondness to the Sheik, but that's the only Legends character in a set that Tom has created. Oh, wow. So I, I don't, I honestly don't know where Tom got the information. You know, I'm sure he did some research about him as well. Um, but yeah, we make use of the internet. 
Um, and it's surprising how, you know, and I think Stuart Corey has mentioned this, we have a, a surprising amount of footage on Jim Londos, and then Dick Hutton wrestles 20 years later, and we got nothing on him, oh. you know? Um, so I use the Wrestling Observer a lot to I'll read somebody's obituary and and sometimes Dave Meltzer will sprinkle in so and so popularize this move or that move and right. just whatever resources we can and sometimes with the vintage guys you know like George Trago so I emailed his son he talked about the the arm lock and the scissor hold that you know that became his finisher and of course there's going to be some creative liberties in there you know sure. Well, right, because let's face it, a lot of those vintage guys didn't necessarily have finishers right. as we know them today. Like a match could end, you know, many, many different ways. Um, so, it, you know, it is there. There's got to be some some license there. But I think that, again, you know, for me, um, it's been a great window in because some of these names that I might have been familiar with, um, there was a lot that I didn't know. And, and I came to know more because of the game. Um, and even not necessarily just because of what was in the booklet, but because it, it inspired me to go do research uh, as well, um, which is just one of the things that I love so much about Legends in, in general. Um, but that's fascinating, and, and, and I'm sure that listeners will, will be hitting up those websites because uh, I, I, I know that I always appreciate, um, especially those old newspaper clippings and um you know, Mark James is a guy that I've uh, had the chance yep. to, to talk to a few times. And, um, you know, I love I love his books and, I, you know, the, the, the collections of newspaper clippings and stuff like that. And obviously, you know, most of his work is geared towards the Memphis territory, but there's a lot of stuff that he's done with other territories as well. Um, so, you know, and, and Stu, for you, um, I mean, I imagine it's pretty much the same. But but when coming up with with, you know, those those bios for the booklets, um has there you know have there been any any like real challenges um that that you know you've just kind of been like i'm I, you know, i've got three or four facts and i'm just gonna have to stretch it across these paragraphs <laughs> oh yeah baby <laughs> there, there's been one or two <laughs> the, the j michael Kenyon website i definitely will plug that's that's a fantastic uh resource of wrestling history and pike mojo's site is great too uh Princess Victoria, pretty tough. Uh, yeah. I was having a hard time finding a whole lot of pertinent information about her career. I remember that distinctly. There have been others, and if I can get three or four facts, like you said, I can build a semblance of a biography around them. Uh, if nothing else, I try to maybe just suggest some fuse with other wrestlers in the game that promoters might enjoy uh, to give them some flavor of my interpretation of the character and, and what they were about. But yeah, some of them are more difficult than, than others. I mean, you take a Jack Briscoe, good gosh, try to condense that into three or four paragraphs is, is a challenge. You take some others trying to come up with two paragraphs is a challenge, period. So yeah, there have definitely been challenges and I have, I have used a little license myself. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Even with some modern guys, um, and modern being, you know, 70s, 80s guys, where we have a decent amount of footage, um, I remember Cousin Luke, it's like, what do we fill his card with? He doesn't do it. <laughs> no disrespect to Cousin Luke. But, you know, even even sometimes some of the modern guys don't have that varied of a moveset. And other guys, you know, you could you wish the there were – we were using a 10-sided dice to roll on offense instead of a yeah. six-sided, you know? 
you know, speaking of which, uh, something that we've seen a lot in the in the indie sets, um, and uh, I don't think we've seen as much in legend sets um, uh, at all, really, is uh, the you know the 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 um, multiple finishers, but the, like the roll finishers, um, where you know a guy might have three or four different finishers that he uses. Um, you know, somebody like Zack Saber Jr., for instance. You know, you'll you'll roll to to see which one. Um, I'm curious if there are any you know if there's been any times as far as mechanics. You know, if there is any ever any thought to putting more mechanics on the cards. Um, you know, for, for certain guys. And, and obviously some cards do have those extra mechanics. Um, but just in general, when you have, you know, the opportunity and it's like, man, I really want to put, you know, move X, Y, and Z, but I don't know what to do with them. Um, you know, if you've had any, any, or if there is more of a concerted effort to say like, well, let's just, let's, let's keep these more in the vein of, you know, a straight card. So I think, um, you know, back historically even till maybe you could argue the mid 90s a lot of what would be multiple finishers are sometimes just their level three moves and we see that a lot when we're constructing a card like level three three four and five might be that secondary finisher um and there's not really an effort to limit the gimmicks um but i i don't i don't think there's an appetite to make everyone have one either, you know? Um, what did Tim say? There are guys like Jack Briscoe, you should say this one should have. Um, sorry, I lost Tim's chat. Should have no gimmicks. He said, yeah, he said Jack should have oh, no gimmicks. Yeah, yeah, you know? So um, we just... I don't know, we, we kind of strike a balance. It's not like we're not trying to, but like, you know, when we made... Who was it? Like Jushin Liger and, and Brian Danielson, those guys. And again, they're a little more modern. They have such a variety. It, it is really impossible to pin it down. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, that's why. The, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to interject that, you know, with somebody like Liger as well, you, you know, you really do have that opportunity, kind of like what you were talking about with the sheep herders earlier, where you have to ask yourself, what version of this guy do I capture? You know, yeah. do I, you know, and I think for a legend set, if you're, you know, if you're doing Liger, you go for that prime, you know, shooting star press, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you know, early 90s version of, of Liger. But, you know, there are some of these guys where, you, you know, you, you they, they have such a long career and, and you know, you don't necessarily want to give short shrift to any particular aspect of, of their of their style. Um, but I appreciate the fact that more often than not, the cards that we get are representative of a specific time and place in a guy's career, as opposed to being like this amalgam of, you know, just whipping something up and, and, and throwing them in the melting pot and being like, well, this is what their, you know, their prime card would be if you took a dash of the nineties and a dash of the eighties and a dash of the late seventies. You know, I, I appreciate that they are more faithful to a specific, you know, time and place. Yeah. Like Tom did recently with the, um, the champ, what's it called? The tournament oh, of champion sets. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and they, they kind of looked like they made an, an effort to kind of make them an amalgamation of, of those people, you know, like their greatest hits. I think Tom said in his interview with you. Yeah. Um, and we're not as we try to define things specifically, and it's tough for some guys because some guys have very distinct phases of their careers. Um, you know, like in the chatter about the upcoming legend set, somebody you know said that 
they would like Harley race with the King gimmick, you know, and, and, you know, as a more traditionalist, I'm just like, Oh, that was so bad. But you know what? That's (laughs) what they, maybe that's how they first saw Harley race, you know? And so that's where maybe down the road and I'm not, I'm not giving a spoiler or anything, but you know, maybe sometime down the road, we do a King Harley race card as a pro prime or something. Um, right. You know, and Tim just commented, it'd be tough to do a guy like Masawa. Same thing as Liger, you know, where he had so many finishers in this career and both Masawa and Liger would, there's certain finishers they pull out once or twice a year, you know, like right. Liger, when he finished the feud with Sano, he pulled out that shooting star press and he hadn't done it in a couple of years. Or Masawa had a version of the Tiger Driver, and he'd do it, you know, once or twice a year. And that was like, okay, I've thrown everything I could at them. So how do I how do I end this match? And he pulls out, you know, Tiger Driver '85 or whatever, and and just buries the guy. And, and that's right. tough, you know. Well, it's like yeah, it's like with somebody like Kobashi and the Burning Hammer. You know, yeah. it's just sort of like he did that move. I, I think what three times. In, in his entire career and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and obviously it's a move that I know that some indie folks do regularly, which, you right. know, whatever, that's fine. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it is, it is kind of a sacrifice in some ways. And, and we've been lucky because there are some guys that have been represented with multiple gimmicks, like Ted DiBiase being one of them, you know, which is awesome because for me, like growing up, obviously the million dollar man gimmick was you know, that's what I knew. That's what I loved. And then as I got older and, and, you know, started getting some, you know, tape trading and all that sort of stuff and seeing some of the mid South stuff, it was just sort of like, Oh man, I want that Ted DiBiase, you know? And, and, and so, and so I think that being able to have both is, is, is great. And, you know, we do get that opportunity. Uh, a guy who was announced recently, um, on the, uh, official Twitter, um, Coco beware, for instance, you know, there's a guy who you look at, you know, his, his WWF career, the Birdman, all that sort of stuff. But you look at what he did in other territories and it's like completely different character, um, you know, both both heel and baby face. And so um, which which, again, through Promoter Prime, um, you know, we had uh, a representation, you know, I believe it was in black and white, uh, um, yeah. you know, one of the earliest, you know, Promoter Prime legend cards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that you just you just have to make that decision. And obviously with the themes that, that the color sets have had, um, I think that it, it obviously helps you guys to figure out exactly what you're going to do. Um, speaking of the upcoming set. You know, some we've we've already had a few names that have been announced. Obviously, um, Warlord and Barbarian, Powers of Pain, uh, which is just an you know an awesome uh, addition. The Barbarian to the game is going to be great. And then of course, you know, Coco Beware, somebody that we have seen before um, in, in in black and white, but now to have a colorized card is fantastic. Uh, Bob Wharton Jr., um, you know, just another you know another great. Uh, um, asset to 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 the legends sets now obviously i'm holding out hope that if bob orton's going to be if ace orton's going to be in the set that we're going to get a roddy piper card as well um but uh <laughs> i'll ask you guys to neither confirm nor deny but um as far as the new set goes uh i am curious as to um you know do you set restrictions on yourself do you say okay we're only going to represent you know, the years 1985 to 87, or is it more dictated based on the names that you want to include in the set? Um, 
I guess Tim always says that in his view, and you know, keep in mind he grew up watching the WWF, you know, <laughs> that he always sees it as pre-Hogan and post-Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as we initially started the set, or even you know, I mean, this is a set that people have wanted for a long time. We've talked about it for a long time. It would have definitely been a pre-Hogan, um, and I think it still is. But there might be a little, there might be a little trickle in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where maybe somebody's persona is more widely known or better reflective of their career as pre-Hogan. Would you guys? Agree with that if you understand if you smell what I'm cooking and I'll put it in the chat here because we trust Sam. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's accurate. You know, I think in a lot of cases, yeah, uh, I think in a lot of cases we um, try not to set too many strict boundaries for things. Um, you know, if if there's a good persona, a good guy that just fits in overall with the set you know i think i think of the you mentioned sam the hardcore set or brawler set um you know obviously that was you had about 50 percent ecw guys but then it was also a tribute to early brawlers kowalski bull curry um you know names like that and uh you know we didn't didn't limit ourselves you know when we signed abdullah the butcher it's like well abdullah's got to go in this set so it just, right. it, just, it just was kind of a natural fit even though he didn't you know, necessarily ever see just incredible or Steve Carino. Um, but it just, it just made sense to, to put them together. So the yeah. only, the only I, set I, I can, re- oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to interject real quick. You mentioned bull Curry, that that is legit. One of my favorite legends cards. I and, and <laughs> going too. back to what we were talking about earlier about like, you know, he, he really covers a lot of bases for me. One, he feels so unique and he feels like exactly like you want that guy to feel. Uh, it's a card that I felt like I learned about Bull Curry as I, you know, as I played the card, as I read the bio. Um, it made me want to go learn more. And so it's just like he to me, that card represents kind of like the the best of the game in a lot of ways. Um, so, so I'm a huge, huge fan of that card. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But uh, sorry, Stu, you were going to say. Now, uh, and yes, I, I'll echo that. I love Bull Curry. The uh, the only set that I can remember that didn't really have a theme was the first, very first one, the black and white set, because that was just more of an effort to get as many names out there as we possibly could. And ever since then, I think it has been more themed with each set, if memory serves. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, each I mean, one. Go ahead. I'd say the the first color set was kind of the same way, and that um, speaks to you know something you had mentioned earlier, Sam, where you can't. That was a fantastic set, as there's main eventers from all sorts of eras and stuff, and people are going to want to. Everybody's going to say, "Hey, that guy was my favorite wrestler," so I'm going to grab that set. So from a sales and relaunching his color and rebranding, it was a fantastic set. But from actually running a federation. I would think that'd be pretty hard because there's no mid carters. There's no, low, you know, it's like, you know, if, if figure out who the worst guy in the set is and that guy's your, your jobber. I mean, that's not really fun. And I think I've enjoyed the sure. discussion over on the, on the discussion board the past couple of days about people advocating for the inclusion 
of like SD Jones and a Coco Ware and, um, um, you know, Jim Powers and some people only want Jim Powers of Paul Roma comes along and, and all this stuff <laughs> because they recognize you need the mid card to lower card guys. You know, they were called carpenters because they built the house. I mean, you know, they set the foundation yeah. for the card and, and you need all those guys in your federation. You know, when people talk about how many guys that are available on a roster now and just in color even, um, I mean, you'd have you'd have to pick like, okay, what four main eventers am I going to feature? You know, if you're trying to run a Fed and you have just the top twenty guys in there, it's like that. That's not, in my opinion, that's kind of an unbalanced way to to run things. And Tim mentioned in that first color set too, and in the black and white, there wasn't a lot of natural teams in there either. You know, you had the Road Warriors, and you didn't have a lot of, you know, alliances or anything. So that's why that first expansion set, um, Mike really advocated for having a tag team set so we could you know make a good tag team division so it's been interesting lately on the discussion board with people talking about how they'd like some of these maybe undercard or, or prelim or prelim guys like a coco Ware and sd jones or a jim powers um to kind of help balance things out because i think it would be hard you know initially with that first color set you had all these superstars and that that's a great roster but that would be really hard to have run that fed just in its own universe with those 16 color cards, because you don't have any mid carders and you don't have any low card guys. And, um, and, and people realize that. And certainly I think if you, if you certainly wanted to run a fed with the top 20 guys in, in all of the color universe, that's up to you promoter, but it wouldn't be my cup of tea because I think you do need, um, to have a balance of your whole card, you need your, your lower card guys, your mid cards and, and your main adventures. And that's what makes things interesting. And, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my complete train of thought there. Um, Oh, I, I, the one point I wanted to make is that when we put together cards, making a main event card, it's obviously there's an art to that because you want the moveset to be, but I think it's it's harder whether it's Champions of the Galaxy or Legends or Indies to make somebody who's a, a good solid mid carder. And you know if you're creating a fictional character, how do you make uh, a guy with a really good story? And like how Tom did that with Vanity and stuff. You know you, you made a guy that people loved, even though if you look you flip over his cards, like man this guy stinks. You know. Um, <laughs> So I, I just have appreciation for everybody on the card because everybody has has their place on the card and they all serve a purpose. You know, you don't – yes, you may come just to see the main event, but those six to eight matches underneath that, they serve a purpose in, in building up excitement and getting the crowd into things. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me personally, you know, with if you're looking only at the color sets – and, you know, that first set is a great introduction. It's, it's a great way to get into the game. You get some great names. You can have a lot of fun. That second set, you know, you add some great tag teams. You know, you're starting to fill things out. But it really isn't until you get to the second expansion with the Mid-Atlantic guys that you really that, – that's when you're off to the races because you've really got this great mix of names where you've got some undercard guys, some mid-card guys, main event guys, you know, semi-main event guys. And it's really a wonderful uh, – um, 
it's just it's a wonderful roster to play with at that point. Um, you know, whether you you know you're you're putting Barry Windham uh, in your main event or you're having you know Sam Houston open things up with you know Jimmy Valiant or whatever, all of a sudden you've got you know exactly what you need to really really create uh, that 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 Fed. And and it's one of the things that I loved in particular about like late 80s early 90s WCW I felt like the hierarchy was was really well established you had some guys move up the card which was really nice to see but for the most part you know you had great undercard stories as well as you know stories in the main event and you know basically any anything you know, before Hogan got there, you know, there was just a lot of really cool stuff going on. And, um, and, and, and I think, you know, I, I actually always enjoyed like the, those Bill Watts, uh, days. And it just felt like things, you know, had some really, you know, a lot of meaning behind every, you know, every placement on the card, whether it was, you know, the, the opening match or, or the main event. So, um, I, I always appreciate that too, when I'm thinking about putting together, you know, my, legends fed in my cards you know just trying to kind of figure out you know okay who's you know who's going to be underneath who's on top and um and not trying to overload things in fact with with my my legends fed now um a lot of the big names i only bring in on big cards like my fed Mm -hmm. the way i have it is the world title is 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 a traveling title and so like I, i think right now my champ is randy savage and so randy savage only comes in every once in a while and and you know the 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 TV title that we have and the U S title, those are like the two main titles for the promotion, but it gives me the opportunity to like, you know, issue using a lot of those big main event guys for the more kind of upper mid card and mid card guys. Um, and then, you know, and then bring in the main event talent as, as needed. Um, but I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm also curious when it comes to the, you know, the, the differences between the color sets and the black and white sets, um, you know, there are some cards along the way that have gotten, you know, little little upgrades here or there or, or have these, you know, little differences, you know, even if it's just in the, um, you know, the differences in, in, in agility or, or power. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of some specific names, but nothing's popping out at the uh, at the time. Uh, uh, come back to me in a second. I'll get to them. But I am curious as to um you know, what dictates that? And, and, and if it's just a, you know, kind of taking a moment and being like, Oh, you know, we could have done this, could have done that. You know, what has been the thought process behind some of the changes that have been made? Yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and answer that. Um, and it's a great question. And there's, there are a variety of factors that go into it. Um, sometimes more footage has come out of a guy in between the black and white release and the color, you know, be it YouTube, WWE network, other streaming we find that, oh, you know, it'd be better for him to have this move on the card or or maybe this was a more regular finisher um, than we thought with the original card. Could be a variety of different things like that. Um, sometimes it's just things we realized. Tim put in the chat, guys like Ray Stevens and Red Bastine, after yes. we played with them, with a, with them a little bit, um, just thought, uh, you know, maybe a little bump, a little tweak here and there would really just help them and be accurate, you know, not make them too tough but just a little bit more realistic based on their real life and success and their push and uh and sometimes too it's feedback from promoters uh, the discussion board um chad even started a thread that we've uh stickied where promoters can put in their thoughts on um it, you know for for future color re-releases things that they would like to see differently i know with the sandman his card for the hardcore color set we used a promoter uh, making the DDT a little more of a hardcore move in hardcore matches. And I think that was a great suggestion we never thought about, that 
just adds a little something in those in those hardcore settings and doesn't make him too overpowered in a in a regular standard match. Um, so yeah, it's it's and you know we some if you look some cards, um, you know I think of like Nick Bockwinkel's card, uh, his re-release as color, the overall setup wasn't too different. The things changed some ratings or charts and things changed there, but kind of the general template was there. And other guys we might do a little bit more of a of an overhaul. Uh, so yeah. it's it's just you know it's a variety of factors. Um, and I'd be curious, Sam, you know any guys that you've used from black and white to color and how they've differed for you or anybody you've noticed? Well, you, you know, uh, so two names that did just pop into my mind, they're actually promoter prime, um, color names, but they, but they did come to mind are, um, uh, Bob, Bob Armstrong, um, because his card, it does have some differences, you know, the, the finisher, uh, obviously being, um, different, but, um, and then another one, um, a, a favorite of mine actually, um, is Adrian street, um, which the, the main reason why I bring him up is because his original card had the Miss Linda interference, uh, on level three offense. And it, and it doesn't have that. Um, so certainly something like that specifically, uh, I, you know, I am kind of curious to, uh, which I don't mind at all. I love the new card. Um, but yeah, just, just, you know, what goes into a decision specifically like that. So for Adrian street, um, there was some question about if we had permission to represent miss Linda on his card. And that oh, was, a, okay. that was a concern. And, um, you know, perhaps we jumped the gun when we developed that the first time. And, you know, Tom is very upfront. You know, there's a lot of wrestling games out there. Our beloved superstar pro got us into gaming. Um, there's ones that still come out now that don't get people's permission and are using right. their likenesses without their permission. And Tom is very cognizant about that. Um, and with Bob Armstrong, you know, Tim just put in the chat that he wanted to change that, you know, Bullet Bob ring it rating um, from a B in black and white um, into updated in color. And, um, yeah, we just, you know, like Corey mentioned that thread, um, I, I actually have copied all the comments out of there and I keep it in a OneNote file. And as we revise, guys, I kind of mark them off um, because you know, the fans are definitely the, the best play testers and, you know, but you have three very active promoters on the legends team with Stu and Corey and all of Tim's great play testing with his, you know, NWF fed that he used to run. A lot of these got a, guys got a lot of work and, you know, I think we figured out almost immediately as Tim said that Ray Stevens just, he was a hard guy to stat. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish now the the mechanic for Jerry Briscoe where we make him better in tag matches. Um, I wish we would have come up for that for maybe Ray Stevens and could have done a little more. I think I think we got better, but you had a guy who was a legend on the West Coast, you know, and, and multiple multiple time U.S. champion out there and really carried that promotion, and also such a renowned tag team wrestler, part of two very historically tag remembered tag teams with Pat Patterson and Nick Bockwinkel. Um, and it, it was really hard to stat him. It, sometimes it's, I think it's surprising to people 
about who we think are, are hard to stat. Tommy Rich is another guy um, that, you know, and I remember the discussion at the time, you know, here you had somebody who's NWA champion when it still meant something, albeit for five days. But, you know, in the early 80s, he was a, a touring attraction similar to a Dusty Rhodes, you know, the tier below Andre the Giant, kind of what the Road Warriors became in the mid 80s of where they'd go into other territories or, or Jerry, the King Lawler, Lawler would do that on a limited basis too. So Tommy Rich was so hard to stat. And I think most of the time, if anything, we underpower guys, but uh, maybe with Tommy Rich, we might've overpowered him a little bit because he was just really tough. And um, yeah, Tim just put in there. It's amazing how much we agonize over some little things on these cards and it is true. There's times where, or I want the moveset to be so accurate. I'm so fixated on a guy. And Mike's like, I need to have the stats now, you know, and we're <laughs> on our like fifth iteration. I'm like, no, I need to change this level two, number five move and make sure it's the best move it can be. Because I really see those cards as, as building a crescendo and, you know, not doing a lot of top rope stuff on level two. Because now with more modern wrestling, that's different. But with, with these sure. guys, they shouldn't be coming off the top rope until they hit in level three for the most part, you know? Right. Well, I would even argue that there are some, you know, there's some indie cards out there that, uh, you know, while I love and I'm glad that they're in the game that I feel like, yeah, they, they, they maybe, maybe there is an aspect to what they really do in real life that, 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 that feels like, you know, you want to get there sooner. But, uh, Ricochet's card is actually a great example. I think some of Ricochet's stuff and some of, um, you know, maybe even um, Rich Swan stuff on his card. It's just sort of like they they're doing things that for me take me out of, of what I love about the imaginative aspect of the game. Uh, and I think that, yeah, the, the that I don't find that with with Legends at all. Um, and again, that's not a knock on, on you know any of the indie cards, because I think that, you know, that that again, there's I mean, there are indie cards that are among my favorite in the whole game, you know, just just period. Um that, that that Zack Sabre Jr. card that I mentioned earlier, I love that. Mm-hmm. Both of his cards, actually, and, and both of Matt Riddle's cards, for that fact. But, um, but I, you know, it is interesting because Ray Stevens is definitely one of those names that, you know, I think stands out with having those differences. Um, you know, are there ever times when you kind of, you know, make the argument that you, you want to do another version of a card that maybe has already, you know, has already had the color treatment, you know, not necessarily specifically that, you know, we're going to get another Ray Stevens, but you know, are there names that you're just kind of like, we want to take another pass at them, even if it's to put them in another era or another persona. I'll, I'll jump in on that. Um, You know, I think when Stu's kind of brought this name up a few times and there are no definite plans for this This is just kind of a, you know, since, since you asked, (laughs) yeah. Um, You know, we've done, Jimmy Valiant and the Valiant Brothers, who've done Boogie Woogie Valiant. You know, Stu's asked about what about heel, handsome Jimmy Valiant from Memphis, the one who had a big feud with Lawler, kind of that transition between the Valiant Brothers and Boogie Woogie with the big beard. Um, you know, and that that was an interesting character. If you haven't seen footage of that, you know, he's got a, um, a music video he did that's on YouTube. I, I love listening to that song. Um you know, that would be, and, and I don't know, realistically, you know, maybe not too much different strength-wise and move-wise from Boogie Woogie. We'd, we'd have to do some research, but um, that's just one pops into my head right now because we have mentioned that name. But no no definite plans for that. Um, 
Stu, or sorry, Tim just put in the chat um, earlier. Ivan Koloff, you know, you look at his black and white card. That might have been more of his his kind of seventies era. Um, the color one was definitely you know eighties. Jim Crockett Promotions, Uncle Ivan uh, doing the Russian sickle. So you know, it, to to do a seventies version in color would be a fun one to explore. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of jumping off of that, uh, you know, I certainly want to go home soon, but that said, uh, I do have some, some, some questions that I want to wrap us up with. Um, the, uh, names and maybe they are already signed and, you know, we just don't know it yet, but, uh, you feel free to, to use whatever names you want. Um, I'm interested Try not to agonize over it too long. Top three names that we don't yet have a card for that you want to see in the game. Stu, I'm going to start with you. Mainly because you're making a face that seems like I can't answer this question. <laughs> That's going to be hard. I mean, but the, the natural one for me, which if we ever get, oh gosh, I don't know what I'd do, uh, would be Flair. I mean, he just seems that's the holy grail for me. Um, getting a Ric Flair would be fantastic. I selfishly would like to see after that uh, Steamboat and Youngblood. Nice. I would love to have both of those. I mean, that tag team was phenomenal. One of the great uh, face tag teams of all time. So that, those would be my three with maybe one and a half obtainable. We'll see. We'll see. We're full of surprises around here. I mean, if we get, look, if we, if, if we got Steamboat and Youngblood, then I, I'd have to have Slaughter and Carnoodle to, to throw in there as well. So, <laughs> Corey, what about you? Oh, man, it's hard to limit to just three. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to do four because one's kind of a pair. <laughs> but um, I would go with Flair also. Um, I mean, just... It, you got Harley race, you got Jack Briscoe, you got so many NWA champs, you know, to have flair just kind of really, even though there's a few champs missing that's to me, that's just a great completion of that. Um, kind of along those lines, although being NWA champ wasn't his main thing would be dusty. Um, just the, the magnitude of a star that he was. And so that's where I'm cheating a little bit. You know, if we could get dusty, then I'd want Cody in the game too. I'm a fan of Cody and, uh, you know, and he might go more the indie route, but you know, that either, either way, he, I mean, he could be legends or indie. I'd love to see him either way. And then, um, and then the other one would be Jerry Lawler. Um, since mm. we've had so many Memphis legends, you know, the Gilberts, Bill Dundee, um, so many guys that he, and, and, you know, guys that he even just, did a short program with in Memphis, you know, Bruiser Brody came in and, and battled him. Uh, Stan Hansen in 83 did a, a program. Well, Hansen and Jesse Ventura came in and did a program with Lawler and Austin Idol. Um, Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole AWA program with, with Nick Bockwinkle. So you've got a lot of uh, tie-ins to Lawler and being that my legends fed is based in the Memphis territory. Obviously that's just a, a natural wish for me. So. Absolutely. So um, can I read Tim's thoughts here? Yeah, yeah, Tim, please go right ahead. Tim, I feel like Tim's shouting at us through chat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tim says Dusty as well, and then uh, Bruno San Martino. And uh, for those that follow Tim on the discussion board, shouldn't come as a surprise, Johnny Powers. And Tim has always said that Johnny Powers should have a power lock of plus 12. For those that don't know Johnny <laughs> Powers, uh, the NWF champion in one of the territories that Tim watched when he was younger, was uh, the top star there. Um 
yeah, Johnny Powers would be a fun card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chad? So, Rick Martell. Um, uh, I will echo the love for Ric Flair. And then I do have my third one is kind of he's moved up because I will say one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is coming out in December. So my my new number three for this poll would be Carrie Von Eric because oh, I just I the first I remember the, you know, I mentioned early on in this podcast that, uh, you know, grew up watching wrestling with a couple of buddies and remember going to my friend Mike's house and we had just started getting into watching wrestling. But the first two wrestling tapes we ever rented were WrestleMania uh, one. It had just happened. And then the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Lord of the Rings tape. And it had the mm-hmm. flair, Carrie Von Eric title changes from from Dallas and from, from Texas stadium and from Japan. And then I, I also, uh, you know, I'm going to throw in my three and a half is it would be Jumbo Saruta because nice. again, been a fan of him ever since I saw him battle Rick Martell for the AWA title. And then as I got into tape trading and stuff in the early nineties, just became a huge uh-huh. fan of his. And I know you're a fan too, Sam. So I am. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, is like Jumbo in the game. I mean, we, we put him against Stan Hansen, Put yep. him, you know, if, if we get flair in the game, you know, put him against flair. Like there's just so many ready-made matches. Um, so just, uh, Sam, I want just the other night, have you seen the match with him against Kerry Von Eric when Kerry's NWA champ? No, I haven't actually. It's, it's on the same tour that Kerry loses the belt to Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, it's on YouTube. Check that out. I just watched that again the other night. It's a two out of three falls match. It's fantastic. Uh, I will definitely check that out. I think, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned Carrie and I do want to throw in Tim said bull Nakano as his, as his three and a half. And I love that. Uh, bull's awesome. I, I've, I got the chance to meet, uh, her, um, a couple years ago. She, uh, was, was in the States for a, um, a rise wrestling event that, you know, kind of like the sister promotion of shimmer, but, um, and, uh, got to meet her and, uh, Aja Kong and, um, uh, Medusa, um, which was cool because, you know, the bowl and Aja don't speak much English, but Medusa doesn't speak much Japanese, but she speaks enough that, mm-hmm. that, that they were able to like communicate, which was, which was actually really cool. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I obviously have to echo, I mean, every, every name that you guys mentioned, I would love to see in the game. I mean, I'm, I'm always one of those people that's like, Hey, if we can get them in the game, let's get them in the game. I don't, you know, I don't care if they wrestled for one year or 50, like, exactly. you know, why not? Um, but, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and say names that you guys didn't say. Um, I think for me, um, I would probably say Bret Hart. Um, I would just love to have, I, I think that, you know, Brett is one of those guys that even though, you know, the bulk of his career as a main eventer was, you know, in the nineties, um, that he would fit so well with any of the names from the seventies and eighties. Like he could, you know, his card would match up perfectly with Jack Briscoe, you know, and, and that would just be an awesome match to have. Um, Jake Roberts, uh, I think again, you know, Jake is one of those cards that he would just fit so many places. Cause obviously he did, and he didn't do that much different in the ring. Um, whether it was, you know, in the seventies in Georgia or, you know, mid Atlantic or, you know, eventually WWF. Um, 
we won't mention his WCW days. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the third name, uh, you know, I've gone back and forth uh, on, on who I picked, but you, you were talking about Ray Stevens earlier, and it just made me think that it's a name that I've thought about many, many times uh, in the game. I would actually love to have Pat Patterson in the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think absolutely. Pat would be. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so those would be, those would be my three, but, uh, yeah, uh, some great names. And of course, if you get a name like Kerry Von Erich in the game, then you're going to want, you know, Michael Hayes and, and Buddy Roberts and the rest of the Von Erichs eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. um, all right. So now we've done that. I do have another question because I know that you are all learned men when it comes to the squared circle. Okay. I want to know, uh, for, for, for myself and for anyone listening, um, recommend a book to the listeners can be any book you want. If there's overlap, that's fine too. Chad, go for it. So my favorite, I mean, you know, you mentioned Mark James earlier and I have about 16 of his books because I actually just traded an old AWA program and he goes, pick X number of my books. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So, um, huge Mark James fan, huge fan of Scott Teal's. Um, but the one that I think is just the most unique is it's called the strap by Roger Dean. And it's about the Missouri title and it goes through chronological, you know, cause that, that belt was only around for about 13, 14 years. It started, I think in 72, 73. And then really it went away when Harley went to the WWF. Um, and Roger Dean was a, he was a photographer at the St. Louis shows, you know, and that belt was really only defended in St. Louis. And it goes through chronologically the the history of the tournament, which was kind of a joke in itself because you had people being eliminated multiple times and it was not a double elimination tournament. And finally, Sam Muchnick said to Pat O'Connor, who was the booker at the time, you need to finish this tournament. And, <laughs> and, and you know, if, if you tried to lay out the bracket for the tournament, it would not work. But he goes through every person who held that title and again, because it's St. Louis, you know, belts only getting defended maybe once a month. Um, but every title defense, just gorgeous photography in it. And it's I think it's the most underrated wrestling book out there. Um, I just I just love it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I, you mentioned that before. I really need to check that out. Um, Corey, what about you? I'll echo love for the Mark James books. I've got a good number of them, especially the Memphis results. And I'll just say for my own legends fed, those books have influenced how I run my fed. I was doing the USWA as kind of the Memphis and Texas end, but there were so many parts of the Memphis, Tennessee, Kentucky area. Like I want to get these towns on my schedule. So I just totally overhauled my, uh, my, my promotion about 10 years ago. Um, apart from that, uh, George Shire is a Midwestern author. He lives here in the city. He's actually just a couple miles from me. Um, and he's written a lot of books on the AWA in the Midwest territory. And I was trying to find, I, I thought I had the one next to me here. Um, I believe, is it Chad Gopherland grappling? Is that sound right? Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's what it's um, called. Yeah. You may have lent it to me. I may have it downstairs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Corey and I have a book swap. <laughs> we do. We do. Yes. And the, yeah. Um, but that, that's a great one too. And it's you know, just a good, um, 
perspective on the AWA from somebody that lived here. I mean, and he was, he grew up with it as a teenager. Um, he's told a lot of stories. He's been on podcasts like the 605 Super Podcast and other shows. And um, he's, he's just, George has just got a really um, great knowledge of this area and the, and the territory here. So just a really cool, if you're interested more about the AWA, especially um, prior to the 80s, um, that's, that's a great one to look up. Nice. Uh, excellent. I see. This was really a selfish question. I just wanted more books to read. <laughs> Stu, what about you? Uh, you know, trying to name my favorite wrestling book is like trying to name, you know, pick a favorite child. That's pretty tough. Uh, wrestling books. Stu, are like it's not, my parents have done that. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can go to the GWF files, which is by Stu Lowry. We're, we're, we're going to yeah, take that one off the shelf. Oh, brother. <laughs> uh, I am going to go with uh, The Strap was excellent All of Mark James' books are excellent But probably my favorite All-time wrestling book And I have a new one that's uh, Gaining ground Is uh, Wrestling at the Chase by Larry Matizek. Oh uh, yeah It's about St. Louis He, he wrote a, a follow-up to that Called Drawing Heat the Hard Way Something along those lines Which is more about wrestling booking philosophy Which I also enjoyed But Wrestling at the Chase, I, I knew enough about St. Louis to be dangerous, but once I read that, I felt like I had a pretty good understanding. And it, it's also the way I personally favor wrestling to be presented, which is more sport than theater. I mean, that's just my personal preference. So St. Louis, that history really resonated with me. And Sam, I'll say this much because I heard about the book on your podcast, uh, Eggshells by Chris Charlton. Oh, Yeah. Showed the guys that a couple of weeks ago. I'm reading that right now. Just got it for my birthday, and I'm really, really enjoying that because that's an era of Japanese wrestling that I really, really like. So that that is a great book, and he did a really nice job with that. Yeah, I I, I love I love the fact that you know it's such a great mix of uh, promotions as well. That you know you get you get a great idea of the you know the biggest cards from a number of promotions. Um, and and uh, yeah, I I love both of his books, The Lion's Den, the you know the history of New Japan that he wrote as well uh, is very well done. His brother Matt Charlton, um, he has uh, the second volume actually is getting ready to come out, but um, basically he has taken. The the top titles in Japan and, um, you know, is, is, is doing title histories for them. Uh, J crowned is the, is the name of the book. And the first book starts off with the triple crown, the IWGP heavyweight and the global heavyweight crown from pro wrestling Noah. And, uh, just, just great stuff. The second volume is coming out, I believe very, very soon. Um, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I love that stuff. And especially just because even now, you know, so much, uh, of, Japanese professional wrestling history is not available at our fingertips, you know, in that form. Whereas we have a lot of great books uh, about North American wrestling, but there's, there's unfortunately not a lot of stuff out there. Um, yeah, Tim, uh, he, uh, um, mentioned a really old book, Solid Man, about William Muldoon. He was a fascinating guy, first commissioned the New York State Athletic Commission, trained just about every big name boxer of the era. Um, I'm definitely going to put that on my list. And then he also mentions a Luthez scrapbook at the Waterloo Hall of Fame um, being pretty cool, um, which, hey, if it's in Waterloo, that's where I was born. So 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. You, you gotta come out this summer, Sam. Mm-hmm. Gotta that, do it. That's guys. Scrapbook. I'll tell you what. If if we can, if if it is possible, if things are at the level where we can do stuff like that, I guarantee you, I will be there. I will be there Good. because I will need to be there for many reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love Chicago. I love my wife and daughter. But man, I haven't really left this house or done much in the past, you know, eight months. So like so 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 many other people. <laughs> yeah, that Luther's scrapbook is was his personal scrapbook of match oh, results wow. and it's like the size i mean it's the biggest book of really it's like the size of a desk calendar yeah wow and, and it's this hard cardboard stuff and it's it's news clippings and everything and i mean it's not on public display um because it's so almost brittle you know sure yeah, you feel like you yeah. should be wearing white gloves. So, but for Hall of Fame weekend, you know, you you come out there, we'll 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 get that out for you and let you kind of peruse through it because it's amazing. It's phenomenal. Uh, it is, yeah. As 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 someone who has a theater background and, and an acting background, I once got to look at one of the folios uh, from you know Shakespeare's folios and, and, and handle that. I did have to have white gloves, uh, uh, but I got to tell you that handling something like that might might. Might might actually even beat that, so uh, <laughs> I would I would cherish something like that. Um, yeah, you know, for me, I have to say that you know I love Mark James books. Obviously, I've talked about them and talked to him on the podcast before, um, and have a few in my in my to read pile right now. Uh, um, Pat Laprade's book uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle is one that I really really like. Um, uh, he also has uh, the Mad Dog Vachon um, bio, which is yeah. which is wonderful. Um, uh, um, and then of course talking about Luthez, I mean, Hooker is, is one of those books that I just feel like you, you've got to read, you know, you have you do. to read it. Um, and then I also, it, it is sadly out of print and ridiculously overpriced on the secondary market. But, uh, one that I just love to death is Gary Hart's, um, autobiography. I, I think it's fantastic. The thing that's so wonderful about Gary Hart's autobiography is that, um, he was, he was there for so much. Right. So, you know, you get stories about the old days in Chicago. You get stories about, you know, Texas, Florida, uh, Mid-Atlantic, Australia. You know, I mean, there's just stuff yeah. from all over the place and so many great names. And it's just I, 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 lo- I, I love that book as well. Um, there's a, a, a Bruiser Brody book. That was one of my first books that I ever, you know, purchased. And um, I've got Is it around somewhere. Was that Mattis' book? It's not. It's the other one. Okay. Um, The thing that's amazing about it, and the thing is, is like, I I don't know how well it holds up today because I don't feel like it's necessarily written very well and that it, you know, it tends to be mostly just results driven, but the, the photography, the pictures are, are still out of this world. And, and, and just being like one of my first books that I ever picked up, I mean, this was like 20 years ago. Um, you know, it's, it, it holds a special, a special place in my heart. Um, well, now that that's out of the way, uh, there is a set coming up here, uh, not too far off, actually, um, where we're, we're ticking down the days. And I know that there's going to be a, a huge announcement on Black Friday, and I'm looking forward to the reaction. Um, I've, I've already been spoiled. Both take that in any way you want. But uh, I, I, I am very much looking forward to hearing what the reaction is um, for this for this set. uh 
coming up, you know, with the names that we've already got announced and, and, and more names to come, um, again, without spoiling anything, do you guys have like, and is there consensus? Is there, is there one name where you guys are just like, this name is going to be, you know, not only the name as far as the hierarchy of the set, but also that everybody's just going to go crazy for. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I think there's general consensus. I think, yeah, I I think one new name in particular and, um, another new name. We just saw the artwork today and, um, I think I think the artwork we saw today, a lot of people are going to be happy about that one. So, Sam, why don't you share with us in the chat who you've been spoiled on? Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> that would be the aforementioned top yes. wrestler of mine. So yeah, yes, yep. yep. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think people are going to go pretty crazy for that one. Um, just because I would think it's somebody that most people thought was pretty inaccessible. Yeah. And it's not Hulk Hogan people. Let's not be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Which none of us mentioned is the wrestler we most wanted. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening. That was our conversation. Obviously, things got cut a little bit short there at the end. Uh, uh, we, we sort of trailed off. But uh, overall, you know, I just had such a great time. I just look forward to the next time that, uh, that we can all get together and, and have another conversation um, because it was it was wonderful. And I think there's so, so much ground that we left uncovered. Uh, uncharted, if you will, that, that we can. Very fitting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for having us on, Sam. Because we we love talking wrestling. We love talking this game that's built such a you know fantastic community. Um, you know, if I can never, if I, I can never thank Tom enough for all the friends he's given and the communities built, let alone the hours of fun from the game. We loved uh, we loved uh, being on here. We love talking with you, Sam. We love talking wrestling and, and legends and champion of the galaxy. And we do a little bit of our own on our Uncharted Territory podcast. And uh, I think in a couple of weeks, we'll have episode number three coming out. It will be a review of the 2087 roster and what we thought of it at the time and just kind of our memories of the game that way. But we really appreciate you having us on here. And um, I think I had mentioned before that I was uh, going to show you the uh, newest Legends signing that I got was that earlier this week? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I'm going to pop this up here. I have it scanned in and may not be able to read the signature, but the name is right above it. Oh, boy. Wow. Wow. I am, I am stunned. That is huge. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ah, wow. I mean, <laughs> I'm, super right excited. now I'm already, I'm already fantasy booking. Like I'm already... <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. super cool. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, obviously big, big props to Jerry Barisco for that one. Making oh. that one. 
I cannot, yeah, I cannot wait to hear more of, of that, of that story because I, I, that is, yeah, that is huge fans. I'm just, I'm telling you right now that when this name gets announced, people are going to just go nuts. Cause that is, that is a great signing for the game, huge signing for the game. I I'm so excited about that. And I feel very privileged that, 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 that has been shared with me. Um, <laughs> well, you know, uh, I want to go back real quick. Uh, if, if, if I can, uh, come, you know, down from my excitement, uh, <laughs> podcast uncharted territory. You mentioned, um, I, I had the opportunity to listen to the, uh, TNT hall of fame episode, uh, which I loved. There's just some great, great stories, um, that you share not only about the creation uh, of the cards and, and the, you know, the uh, signing and some of those names, but just stories about some of those guys in general, uh, which I loved and uh, hearing about uh, some of the, the Baron Von Raschke stories in particular uh, mm-hmm. are, are well, well worth the download. So if you haven't had the opportunity to, to listen to that podcast yet, please do. Um, I think you'll, you'll hear a lot of really cool stuff. There's some really great discussion, which, echoes some of the discussion that we had here uh, about the way that cards are statted, the way that some cards that may have been created and statted, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago have changed in some ways and sometimes just minor ways, um, some in, in larger ways due to the fact that there's more footage available now than there was when the card was first created, um, which I think is really cool, getting the opportunity to go back and do that again. Yeah, I mean, with between YouTube and the network and and Google Drives and all the ways I get footage, um, you know, it's it's just such a wonderful era to live in and be a Legends of Wrestling card researcher because yeah. I mean, and, and I can't remember if I mentioned this during the made podcast or not, but you know, I I will be sometimes looking at guys. How do we do these moves? Which moves is does this wrestler do the most, the most frequent guys? I'm literally keeping tick marks on a spreadsheet to, to track what somebody's doing the most to help with placement on the card and just frequency or if this move or that move. And until Mike says, okay, we need the stats now because I want them to be perfect. We're all perfectionists and we want to give fans the best product we can and, and structure the cards in the best way that reflects that wrestler. Yeah, well, I have to say that we've we've talked about the Legends game in general from from different perspectives, you know, being kind of a history lesson, being the opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. more about some of this talent, being a a tribute to the talent. But one of the things that I feel like we, you know, we kind of almost take for granted sometimes uh, is the fact that at at its core, these cards have to work in the context of the game. And, um, you know, you guys hit home runs far more than you know the the doubles that, that you got <laughs> than the ground outs <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i i mean i'll tell you what i don't know if you've ever hit a ground out that's that's seriously, <laughs> that's genuinely how i feel um how, how good the cards are you know because even even those instances where you look at somebody like i remember magnum ta's card i was super excited when when the original you know legends uh uh, uh set came out with magnum ta's card and mm-hmm. i i remember at that time you know just where i was as a fan wanting his card to represent like what he could have been you know like that's what i really wanted from that card and um and i think instead wisely you know you guys went with the you know this is this is who he was with a little bit 
of you know what might have been. I mean, the, the Kool yeah. can make a run at anybody. You know, I'm not trying to say that it's not. I mean, he was great. I mean, he was already challenging Flair for the title, uh, right. um, you know, before his car accident. But um, but even then, you know, it's like it, it's one of those things where looking back on it from where I sit today it's a perfect representation of Magnum TA and the stuff I've been able to do with that card in the game and, 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 and just, you know, the, the feuds and the matches um, it works. It's got his personality, you know, it's got his, it's, it's, it's got just everything that you would want. Um, and, and I think that that's true. You know, the vast majority uh, of the cards that you guys have, have worked on and released. So it's, it's, it's a gift and 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 i think that a lot of us are just are, are grateful for for that you know <laughs> well thank you we 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 really appreciate that and you know like we mentioned uh earlier in the show you know these are our opinions and obviously some some people depending especially the territorial guys where they grew up and who they saw um they're going to disagree with with our interpretation um but yeah usually people are respectful because in the end, it is just a game. Right. Well, right. <laughs> right. And hey, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to you, promoter. There's no reason absolutely. why you, can't, you know, drop that down three on level two defense and yeah. turn it into a dazed one or whatever, you know, like Yeah. You do, yeah. you do what makes you happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for a lot of guys, you know, Corey has kind of a hometown advantage rule for his federation where cool. You know, if, if Strangler Lewis was wrestling in Louisville, because I think that was his hometown then, you know, and I think Stu had started that. Um, Stu's done a lot of creative stuff within his own fed with, like, a, a chart for the first 20 moves of the match that really just replicates an old-time world title match where you're just feeling things out. And, you know, if you're on level three, there's no finishers. It's just level two. You know what I mean? You're working arms. You're working. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty cool because, you know, as we've mentioned before, and it reflects in both champions and legends, you know, modern day wrestling is high offense, low defense. And, and that's how the current champions cards reflect. And I would say the, the, the indie cards do too. Yeah. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's built on shorter matches, explosive. Whereas the, earlier champions of galaxy and legends by definition are going to reflect the longer matches and, and the more wear you down type things, Um, stronger defenses and maybe slow, slow to start offense, you know, and that's, and again, it's, it's different and that's okay. It's just, everybody's. Absolutely. And before I, and, and, you know, here's uh, another great segue, hopefully before (laughs) I uh, started instituting time limits, uh, I had a match between comrade terror and star warrior that went for over an hour real time. Oh my gosh. It was, it was insane. This is probably, God, this has got to be like 25 years ago. Uh, But it was, I I was just so shocked because I remember I was rolling out a card before I was staying at my grandparents' house for the summer, which I would do Mm -hmm. often, you know, I'd spend a couple Mm -hmm. weeks up there in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which is right. outside. Oh, very good. Yeah. And uh, I would, uh, you know, I'd always take the game with me. It was, it was Mm -hmm. like, I probably rolled more cards in those two weeks than, you know, I would in, in the following six months, like just constantly right. playing. And so I'm like, I'm going to roll out a quick card before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> that match, <laughs> man, I tell you what, I must have been up until like 1130 finishing that card, you know, that, that I midnight uh, maybe just because that, that match went so long. Um, 
which makes me very excited for the fact that you guys are going to take the opportunity on your next episode to talk about the 2087 set um, mm-hmm. because it, it's something that you know we've on this podcast you know Mike and Todd and I uh, have talked about obviously Champions of the Galaxy but we talked mostly about like the newer sets um, right. you know we haven't had a chance to really go back and that's something I know Todd really wants to do uh, and, and I do as well but we haven't really had the chance to to cover that ground yet so I'm really excited to hear what you guys are going to have to say um, because I'm always interested because I know that you guys have been playing the game you know just about for as long as it's been around and mm-hmm. uh, uh, for somebody who came to the game a little bit later, you know, I think it was 93 when I started playing. Um, I, I'm always interested to kind of hear what the perspective was. Cause even by like 93, 94, you know, you, the, the, the sets that, that existed uh, and some of the wrestlers that existed, then you'd already kind of taken a step past where the game started those first couple of years. And even though a lot of that talent was still around, like Thanos wasn't on top of the card anymore. You know what I mean? Right. right. So it'll be really cool to hear uh, what you guys have to say. Um, and uh, I would love, you know, the opportunity to have you guys back um, at some time here in the near future or, or even, you know, any, any one of you. It doesn't necessarily have to be all, all of you, but uh, um, I think it would be just great to continue the conversation. It's funny that you mention um, the, you know, Phantos kind of being displaced by the time you got on board because, you know, out of our group, Tim and I started at the beginning and then Stu and Corey came in about the same time you did. Mm. And, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that if we ever finish our 2087 episode. <laughs> but I distinctly remember uh, at the very first Galacticon, and, and somebody recorded this, and then Tom put out a, a DVD, I don't know, Galacticon 10, 15, that showed this video from the first one. And in the very first one, so War Games 2091 came out, so you're having... You know, Spike with the, the plus four Mega Destroyer, you have the Leap of Doom on Mayhem. Um, Star Warrior had gotten his Cosmic Big Bang, the set before, you know, with the high explosive, uh, Justice, you know. And I remember on this video, Tim's asking a question about finisher creep. And, and you know, like a, what he, he called it an arms race, actually. Uh, <laughs> race. And I'm thinking, wow, 2091 versus where we are now. It's just, right. you know, and multiple. And I mean, we, you know, Tim and I were just having a conversation off air the other day about like vengeance and his ad one and how mind blowing that was in, you know, 96 yeah. that came out and stuff. And, but, you know, it's amazing how this game, you know, you're, you're, you remember, from 25 years ago, a match that went, you know, over an hour. And I can, you know, we all have, every every promoter has those stories about an amazing match. And whether it's with main event talent or an unlikely team, you know, some of my most fun memories are of undercard feuds because they got low finishers. Those suckers can go forever. Right, yeah. Fun, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, well, some it's of the just tag matches. Like some tag yes. matches will just go. I mean, I again looking back to the to the original set, like thinking about some of those, you know, uh Flying Titans versus Society of Death six man tag yeah. matches, like those things would last, you know, forever. And then predictably end in like a DQ, but <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah, ah gosh, so so many memories. You're right. The game the game has provided so many memories and um it, it's something that now I'm so grateful that so many of us have taken the opportunity to, to share that 
you know, clearly like through the message boards and the, you know, the Yahoo groups and the old um, guest book and, you know, all, all the yeah. forms that we've been able to do that, like in writing, but now to have the opportunity with like the podcasts and the streaming and the zoom meetups and all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's been, I think it's been, um, as someone who's never had the opportunity to attend a live in-person Galacticon, it's been a wonderful opportunity for for me to get to hear stuff from other people, Um, which is why between like your podcast and Grant's podcast and, you know, and and now what I've been able to do here, like, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I remember you mentioned something to me when you were asking, I think you were asking like, about something podcasting wise and, and you were kind of like, Hey, you know, we don't want to like step on your toes or whatever. I was like, dude, man, there's plenty of room, you know, like the, the, there is plenty uh, of water for everyone here just because I think that there's so much ground to cover and there's so many different perspectives. And, and, and I just think that it's so cool that we get the opportunity to do this and people are responding and people are listening and people are enjoying it, which is just like, that's, that's the whole point. You know, you want to be able to share something with people and, and everybody can kind of get excited together and, and share those memories. And, and I think that that's the best part about this. Yeah. One of the things I really wanted to do when Corey and I started talking about this a year or so ago is I wanted to kind of do a walk through uh, the history of Champions of the Galaxy and the whole phenomenon from just a fan's perspective. And um, you know, let people know what it was like back in the day and, and just, you know, maybe spark some memories or create some interest or something. Um, you know, we're going to cut. My original thought was do everything chronological. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know, uh, you know, Pike Mojo has been a huge advocate about, and you as well, about hearing how the mixed up things. So we'll kind of, you know, we're, we're going to do Champs of the Galaxy in order. And, you know, obviously, if there's a new Legends release, we'll hit on that. But then maybe we'll start with the Black Legends. You know, I kind of have a booking sheet laid out for about six episodes. And, you know, we'll we'll go all over the place with that. But one of the cool things I'm going to um, put up there, and again, you know, Mark Ashby, who, you know, created the Club Galactica and the Super Report and really helped drive Tom in organizing Galacticon, you know, I mean... Mark was really the epicenter for the fam community. And, you know, we've known each other since we were 14. Wow. And our, our birthdays are two days apart, born the same. I'm, I'm two days older than him. <laughs> so, you know, on Facebook, he always makes fun of me for being old for two days and then I get him back. Um, but I have a, a, I have a cassette tape, which, you know, that was the predecessor to podcast, right? Where sure. Mark interviewed Tom the summer before he Galacticon. And um, I think, you know, obviously you, you found out I'm not very technical, but I, I think I got the right conversion software. I'm going to, we're going to put that on one of our episodes too. this original interview that Mark did with Tom and saws with Mark's permission and blessing. And there's a really cool segment about um, character ideas that Tom had thought up. And this is around the time of 2089, Oh, wow. So 89 and 90. So that's a year. They came out in December then. And um, just talk about these characters that were, oh, you know, we didn't put them in. But then some of them do end up coming in. <laughs> or some of the history of, um, you know, like when Tom did the uh, the Lord Nexus card for the 30th anniversary set, the, the different interpretation. Yeah. You know. Tom talked about in this interview how he originally Lord Nexus was going to be a guy called the Avenger. Mm. 
look, you look at that card and Lord Nexus has a move called Avenger Slam. You know, uh, Tom is hearkening. I mean, he's calling all this stuff back. And yeah. so I, I really just want to help if, you know, it's like a virtual museum or preserving the history of, of Champions of the Galaxy. You know, we've, we've talked about how I enjoy researching wrestling history. And then it's like, here's a more nerdy subset. And I say that with all love of where I'm interested in the history of games you know, Superstar Pro and Champions of the Galaxy and Legends, and just kind of detailing that out for folks. I well, I I, I think that that's fantastic because it, it, you know the, the story of this game, and 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 now having had the opportunity to you know interview Tom and to talk with Todd and Mike and talk with you guys, like the. I, I've learned so much. Oh, and, and Rob is another perfect example too. You know, swarm mm-hmm. over on the mm-hmm. message, message boards. You know, having a couple of conversations with Rob, it, like I've learned. I've learned so much. And for a guy who kind of, you know, th- that this was my thing, that I didn't have any, you know, friends that were playing it, that I didn't, right. you know, that I that I would share things in the message boards, sure. But for the most part, you know, the, the knowledge that I had of the game was kind of mine. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of some other things along the way. And, you know, I mean, I I, I was getting the, the prime when it was like a hard copy. You know, mm-hmm. I was getting, you know, like, like I, you know, I tried to kind of soak everything in. I've got my copies of the GWF files. I've got, you know, like I've got Tom's book, you know, the dark men, yep. you know, like I've got all that stuff. And so it's just kind of like, you think like, you think like, Oh yeah, well, I mean, I, I've got to know a lot. And then all of a sudden you start learning all this, you know, other stuff and all these characters right. or this artwork that didn't get used or that, you know, and, and, and I think that the history of the game is very rich and it's a testament to Tom obviously and, and what yep. he's been able to do, but it's also a testament to all the other you know, creative talents that have been involved. And um, so I, I applaud that and I look forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm sure I will learn a lot. Um, but speaking of where can people download your podcast? Yeah, just look for Uncharted Territory. There are other podcasts with that same name we found out, but um, they have nothing to do with wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so it, anywhere you, you get your podcast from, you know, iTunes or Spotify, all those places, we have a, a icon with some lightning bolts on it and stuff. I, you know, I found some icon designer gimmick online and, and just use that. And that was the Perfect. one that voted on to find it. So yeah, just, just look for uncharted territory or Corey posts uh, when we have a new one on the discussion board. So we're doing like every couple of weeks or something, whenever we can you know, get our technology to work. <laughs> so I think we're just bad luck. And so I am <laughs> your podcast, Sam. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Do you guys, do you guys have a website or anything yet? no, Okay, cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I want to make sure people were directed to the right to the right places. But yeah, I mean, when I because I used Apple Podcasts and when I searched for it, it was like, uh, like you said, there were a couple of others, but it was the second one that came up. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, they just look for the red lightning bolts. Um, but uh, I, I, I've been a fan. I'm a fan of you guys. Uh, I love the work that you do for the game. Um, and I'm just grateful that you joined me. Uh, for for this podcast and and again I look forward to continuing the conversation down the road whether it's here on you know KOPW or over on Uncharted Territory or wherever else any of this may yes. us if we end up on the Tonight Show one day you know whatever um, yep. <laughs> but in the meantime uh, again I just want to thank you Chad I want to thank Corey Tim Stu 
thank you guys so much uh, all for joining us. Thank you listeners um, for, for coming along for the ride. And we've had a lot of fun. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation, not only with these guys, but with you. So if you have any questions, comments, anything you want to know, um, you know, feel free to, to hit me up. Uh, of course you can find me over on the message boards on tiger samurai, uh, or, you know, you can shoot me an email, uh, which is in the show notes, uh, or find me on, uh, Twitter, which is, uh, at K O P W 72. Um, I, uh, hope to be a little bit more active on my social media. I've, I've not been recently cause you know, we we're, we're living in weird times, but, uh, <laughs> as soon as I get the opportunity, um, I'll be over there with some match suggestions. Uh, I've got some more documentary reviews that I plan on doing real soon. Um, I think in honor of the TNT Hall of Fame set, I'd like to get that Briscoe uh, documentary that I've got and uh, and do a review for that. And uh, I think after I finish this Missouri Championship book, I'm going to, you know, talk about it as well. Uh, so maybe 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 I can twist Chad's arm to joining me for a conversation about that. Uh, <laughs> but Chad, thank you again. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome, Sam. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Uh, In the meantime, everybody, take care of yourselves and one another, and uh, I'll be back real soon with another episode of KOPW.